Why am I drinking kombucha, Dave? What's this? It's it's a really good healthy probiotic. Um, What's it going to do to me? It's going to make you poop better. Is that really what it's for? Probiotics, they do. They help your gut health. So you'll have um, better... Yeah, the gut health will help you poop better. Like I, I don't know. Like last time I was really up on my probiotics during a weight cut, I pooped really good right after I hydrated and ate. And usually you just have really bad poops. Um, I am a guy who really enjoys a good poop because it's a sign of health and it just, you know, you don't need to wipe a couple times. It's, it's <laughs> convenient. <laughs> yeah, the kombuchas are, are an acquired taste too. Uh, nah, he tells me. <laughs> well, I I went instinctively for coffee because uh, I'm a coffee person. I've never seen um, a coffee kombucha, so I'm kind of curious. Oh, you can be forgiven for thinking that this is a podcast with the ex-dead member of Motorhead, but it's actually a fighter. Dave the Pain Train. Yes. Nazani, welcome. Thank the you. The 10-point must, my friend. How are you today? It's good. You know, I'm just sitting here on my electronic device being really rude and trying to retweet. <laughs> Try to post everything. It's fine. He's doing work for the brand day pain train. You know, this is what you have to do all day in our day and age. Walk around with your head slouched over looking at a computer screen. <laughs> this is the proper way to interact with people. That's what I've learned. So, <laughs> All right. It's gone. All right. Oh, that, that's the counter. Yeah. Sorry. See, you can make a song out of it. Yeah. Then it's not going to be such a problem. All right. Um, funny enough, so you're here as a fighter. You're fighting on Saturday night. Which is cool. I love fighters. I mean, Muhammad Ali is in the back there, oh, yeah. looking over everybody. But Alaska. Yes. Growing up in Alaska, were you born there? I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Please yes. tell me what that is like. Um, I tell people Alaska's Alaska's rough. It's like it's like um, it, it's it's hard to be an actual part of the United States. It's it's, it's the United States. I'm not going to say it's not. But I think there's a different flavor, just like there's different regions of America that are just different, you know. Seattle's different than Texas, than different than Maine, than different than New York, and um, like different regions of our country. I'm, I'm sure it's like that across the world, different regions of the country. But Alaska, just that, it's it's up. A, there you go. There's a lower 48 states in, in North America, and then there's Canada, and then Alaska's on the top of Canada. So it's it's cold. It's dark. Um, People tend to be a little more, and, and Anchorage is the city, so I had everything that a city would have, but I also enjoyed outdoors and hunting and fishing, stuff like that. And I tell everybody that um, people in Alaska, either they're either super tough, or they're alcoholics, or they're tough alcoholics, <laughs> you know what I mean? which tends to be most of the population, right? <laughs> Just, a lot, of, a lot of tough alcoholics out there. Now, in terms Definitely. of it being a city, like, um, how big are we? Are we talking? Are we talking Cape Town size, Vegas size, bigger than those? Yeah. Three, four hundred thousand. Okay, so Anchorage. yeah, it's moderate. Yeah, it's got it's got a mall. You know, it's got like it's got a mall. you know, got malls. You know, well, it's that's it's weird. Like you, you've got to they, you go people go to Anchorage. It's like, oh my god, we're gonna go to the mall because they're they're miles and miles away from a mall, right? Like the shopping place. Um, like, for example, the place I went to college in, Alamosa, Colorado, right? It was a town of 10,000 inside a valley with a bunch of random small towns in the middle of nowhere. But we had a, a Walmart. It was the super Walmart, you know, the biggest Walmart in Colorado. And people would come from far and wide 
to purchase things at Walmart. <laughs> so, <laughs> like we'd drive a couple of hours just for the Walmart. Oh yeah, yeah. They would give out free dry ice, you know, like dry ice because the people would go for so long to travel, so they would keep their stuff cold. By the time they get back to the house, their stuff's all going to be warm. Yeah, so they they gave you free complimentary dry ice, which we would use to put inside plastic water bottles and blow them up. <laughs> like, can we have dry ice, please? Said, yes, and we put it in water bottles and blow them up. And the Walmart employed the entire town. It, 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 it employed a, a good chunk of it. It was the only place that was open 24 hours, right? So 24 hour Walmart, yeah. Walmart is like macro to us. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's huge. Who goes shopping at 3 a.m.? Um, well, in Las Vegas, everybody, okay. right? a lot of people do. Um, what in, in Alamosa? I don't know. I don't know. Like what we did sometimes because the bars closed at two, <laughs> and then we were like, we're hungry, and so we find our way to Walmart and buy things there and eat food. It, it, it was silly. But, that, I mean, that was college. That was, man, a decade ago. Over a decade ago. <laughs> that is hard for uh, me to think of myself as college as well. It was well over a decade ago. Wow. Oh, God, what have I done? Um, mm-hmm. But back to Alaska, you said hunting, fishing. Yeah. Is that something that you used to do growing up? Is it, like, ingrained in every person who lives in Anchorage or grows up in Alaska that, that you're going to learn how to gut fish from like the age of two. Right. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that I, there are, there are a few people who are in cities and stuff there, like, like Anchorage who didn't, didn't get exposed to that. Like I got to, you know, um, there's all obviously, obviously those people, but at the very least, um, if you were somebody that didn't, you know, get to experience that you were exposed to people that were, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, talking about catching a bunch of salmon and, and, and bringing it home and packing your fridge or, or uh, harvesting a moose or uh, harvesting a, uh, uh, a caribou from the wild um, isn't an uncommon conversation to have. Like, you know, we would, you know, and like even we would see moose walking through the city, right? Yeah. There's, there's pictures of moose with a, uh, Christmas lights on their head, their on their antlers, because they'll just casually walk. This is the biggest thing out there. There's nothing that messes with a moose, yeah. right? Like, like a bears, like unless they see a, a, a an injured one, they wouldn't mess with a moose, right? So, moose will walk through the city and not. Can we cuss here? Yeah, they they're like they're they're like the honey badger. He doesn't give a shit, no, right? No. <laughs> like they they don't care. Um, they'll attack you. They're dangerous, right? They'll they'll attack you if you get you know them aggravated or get in between them and their babies. But um, it's funny they just walked around. He had, he had um, the, the, the the guy. He just had lights all over his antlers. And there's good pictures in the newspaper of, about it. It's, it's pretty funny. But you'll see them all over. They'll hang out in your backyard for a couple of days and, and they'll walk off. It's cool. And now when you say harvest a moose or a caribou, yeah. harvest just a diplomatic way of saying I shot the thing in the neck and I put it on the trunk of my car and drove it home. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you just go out in the bush and you. Um, shoot them and you butcher them and put them in bags and then come home, process it and put it in your freezer, you know? And, and I say that because there's, there's a difference between like truck trophy hunting, right? Like I'm, I'm a guy who's going to go out and shoot something. Just, just to hang it on your just, wall. Just like to hang it yeah. 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 And, and there's harvesting and, and at home we grew up on wild game. We grew up on, you know, like I was fortunate enough again to, to have the most organic natural food sources being put in my body with, uh, you know, moose and caribou and, and, and even bear, we had 
you know, black bear, we'd make it a hamburger and stuff like that, sausages. And um, we, we would eat that, right? And I remember as a kid, one time, we had a roast. I was like, hey, this is a pretty good roast. What, what is it, Dad? And he goes, oh, it's a, that, 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 at that point, we, our free supply ran out, and so we bought, you know, a roast from the store. And it was a, he goes, oh, it's this cow. And I goes, oh, man, when do we get to go out and shoot a cow, Dad? You know, because I thought that's how you got meat. You know, when, as a kid, I thought you'd go out and kill things and put it. That, that's because that's what I saw. Yeah. You know. And <laughs> but then in terms of like actually a bear burger, I've never heard of that. Right. right. An actual like what you, 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 I suppose what, they're not grizzlies, they're black bears. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I see. Yeah. And are they running yeah. around like... A mark? Are there plenty of them? Is it a way of culling the system to shoot one every now and then and eat it? I mean, it's not yeah. like an endangered species or anything like that. No, no. Alaska, there's tons of bears. It, it especially um, in Anchorage, it, they, they, they've been increasing the amount of bears. So it wasn't uncommon. Because I, was I was a distance runner growing up, so I'd run the trails of Anchorage quite a bit. And towards you know the end of high school, I would run past a uh, weekly I would run past a black bear like you know and, and I would always look for cubs and make sure there was no cubs and walk by or if I'd go fishing because they like to eat salmon you know and oh, so they're in competition with you yeah they'll steal like you'll you'll catch a bunch of fish and put it on the side of the bank and they'll start they'll steal it you know what I mean and not gonna run them off <laughs> so so but like I've uh, more than once I've been walking down a strip the trail along the river and I turn around the corner and there's a black bear walking towards me and you know, and usually at that point of the year, they're not, you know, they aren't dangerous because they're well fed, right? Like, okay, so dangerous. they won't kill you because they're psychos. They'll kill you if they need to eat you. Yeah, and, and rarely does a bear want to harvest and eat a human. You yeah. know, they don't have the taste for the flesh <laughs> like, like most of them. But, you know, um, in, in rare instances, they will eat a human. The only bear that will hunt and stalk and kill and prey on a human is a... Is a, is a Grizzly? No, a uh, uh, polar bear. Oh. And you get exposed to those when um, you work with the oil companies, right, up north. Um, and, and there's villages up north, too. There's not much civilization. Uh, most people that get exposed to the far north, like above the Arctic Circle, which I did. I used to work um, construction um, for the oil companies, uh, for Con Am Construction. I was a pipe insulator helper, you know. So made great money you, you, you I stayed in a camp six weeks at a time six weeks on two weeks off and um you know work 12 you know 12 to 14 hour days for seven days straight and um you know, yeah for six weeks and then two weeks off so um how there, old were you then roughly oh uh, that was uh I did that uh in between college so a couple years okay. you know like at, like when I was you know home for home for college I picked up that job and it was it was nice it was a summer job except it was in an ice pack right yeah and it, it, that was during the summer so it was 20 it was light 24 hours of the day it never got dark what is and that like that's that's, that's interesting <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah you okay so you've just flown from Vegas and you're telling me about adapting to a normal sleep pattern again yeah. what kind of a fucking sleep pattern do you have when the lights are on 24 hours a day yeah that that was always tough growing up in alaska like because you know because and for people that don't know like the earth tilts as it changes the seasons right yeah and as it tilts and they used to do this in this in, in, in elementary school because we obviously noticed this as kids why is it dark all the time and why is it light all the time and they would tilt the globe and shine a, a flashlight onto the globe and, at, and rotate the globe and there's parts as it tilts that stay light all the time and you're you know one of them. and then we are one of them yeah are we talking and, about anchorage yet or further north so anchorage you'll just have like ex 
So at the further north you go, the more drastic change it is. When you get above the, above the Arctic Circle, it'll absolutely be light all day, right? Um, in Anchorage, like it'll be light until you know uh, uh, two in the morning, and it, but it'll get like dusky. It won't get you won't see the stars. It'll get dusky and then it'll get light again. You know, so you'll you know if you're going out and one night you go out to the bars and you, you leave, you're like, oh, it's light outside. You feel like, oh man, I'm a, I'm a lush. You know what's wrong with me? But what was weird when you're a kid is, is uh, they go, oh, it's bedtime, and you're looking outside, and it's like daylight, like pure daylight, and you know, it's like, you know, 9 o'clock at night, and, you know, and there would be other kids, maybe teenagers or something, riding their bikes down the street, like people playing basketball, and you're like, talking to your mom, saying, I can't go to bed. It's light outside. You know, these kids are playing. Trying to negotiate. There are so many arguments. And then during the wintertime, it gets dark at like five, or, you know, like around three, four. Okay, so um, the, con- the contradiction is darkness 24 hours? Um, again, above the north, if you're above the Arctic Circle, yeah. it'll be dark 24 hours. So if you are working on, on, the, on the pipeline or if you're working on the, uh, for the oil companies, you know, or, or in one of the villages, you are... 24 hour darkness and you've lived through that too i i've never worked i never worked during the winter time for okay. those guys you're in um, college. Up that north yeah i was in college <laughs> but um but during the summer definitely yeah I mean, what you do is you get good blackout shades you have to black your room out or wear one of the little masks or something <laughs> you know. So but, you should be a master of being able to sleep on a plane. That shouldn't be an issue. No, I don't. Well, I, I don't sleep upright. I'm like, I'm <laughs> terrible at sleeping upright. I think recline like you know, five degrees. You're like, oh, as I'm much a, as you as you can until you feel the other person's knee. Like, yeah, just yeah. a little. Uh, I can feel you. You're there. Right. So stop. Yeah, it's good. You know, and then there's baby. This my last flight was great. No babies crying. It was yeah, it was good. Of mine. I think there should be a banning order. <laughs> on anybody who has a kid that is under the controllable age of like say nine or ten <laughs> you shouldn't be able to fly with something that's going to cry uncontrollably right because it just it fucks it up for everybody else I'm right sorry. it absolutely <laughs> does ask anybody who doesn't have a child what right. their greatest fear in life is it's not having a child by accident it's being put on a plane with a child in the rows around them Right. And it's just going to start crying. Because then you know, like, this is going to be long. This is going to be long. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess I just get used to it. It's, it's like I travel a lot. I get up traveling because I travel for the grappling yeah. emotion that I referee for. And I, I do this. And, and I don't know. I seem like I'm on a plane all the time. So I, I guess I get used to the, the soothing hum of a child's crying. <laughs> It's squelching and screaming. No, that's yeah. the worst. And then, in terms of, well, let's get stuck into how you got into martial arts anyway. Like, right. You're a pro wrestler for people who don't know what pro wrestling is. You're yeah. talking what you'd be more comfortable being referred to as like WWE style. Yeah, that so kind of like the, the main promotion would be WWE. Right? Yeah. Like, so it's that style that. of wrestling. Now, what did you get into first? Did you get into. Okay, I'm going to say real fighting in terms of yeah. inverted commas because there is a definite difference. Did you right. get into actual combat first or did you get into wrestling first? And then, which one did you cross from? Let me see here. Uh, let me see. Gro- growing up, I was a hockey player. I grew up playing ice hockey. Of course. Um, yeah, you know, in Alaska. 
Those are the cool kids in hockey players. (laughs) Were you the enforcer? Well, we weren't allowed to fight. We weren't allowed to fight until you get post high school, right? You get get in trouble for fighting. But there was body checking and hitting. There was definitely, and I was the more scrappy guy. I was the guy that, you know, you dump the puck in the corner. Uh, Mazzani's the guy that's going to dig it out of the corner with the guys and then pass to somebody who had some finesse that could score a goal. Someone with more skills. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was I was never the finesse guy, and I think as a mixed martial artist, I'm still not the finesse guy. I'm just the grimy dude, okay. which which, and you just got to play the cards where they lie. Like yeah. I wish I had I wish I had like the Anderson Silva like precision and fancy stuff, and but I don't. I'm just a grinder and a guy that can get gritty and get in and get out and whatever, come out with a bunch of bumps and bruises and hopefully win. <laughs> you know? um, that's how what kind of hockey player I was. But um, yeah, so, so I grew up doing that. Yeah. Um, through middle school, I, I did, you know, start, started cross-country track and field. I did a little competitive cross-country skiing, which was very popular in, in, in Anchorage. Um, and also I did one year of wrestling as an eighth grader. Um, so I did like amateur wrestling. Which, which, I, I I lost a little bit throughout the season, but I went undefeated in the state in the city tournament. And I ended up winning the city tournament, my debut of amateur wrestling. Right. I what age is that? Um, that was about thirteen, maybe. Okay, and so thirteen is when you entered into martial arts for the first time. Yeah, I guess technically that would be my first martial art, and I and I think I did Shotokan karate for like six months when I was young, but that's fake. That's that's more fake than pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> what is that? I mean, I know what kickboxing you know, is. I know what point karate is. It's 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 like you know, like we just did like katas and, okay, and, yeah. and stood and counted and punched and like you know broke boards and stuff. It's fake. Um, <laughs> fake because the boards broke. already had a little crack in them before you hit them. Well, you hit with the grain. Like I don't know that like growing up and in a UFC one in nineteen ninety three exposed all that right all the fake martial yeah. arts. Fake martial arts hashtag. That, that was that was my <laughs> that was my Trump impression. Fake martial arts. <laughs> but, um, like, you know, it, it was very irresponsible in the sense that they gave people um, false sense of confidence. Like, hey, you know the secret ancient move and it's going to dis- dis- dismantle your opponent. And, you know, you, you should have all kind of confidence, but don't use this only in self-defense. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you see UFC 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 when they put them on a stage to where they could... Fight. They were getting stretched out of there, dude. Yeah, some some grimy dude named Tank Abbott, some beer drinking, <laughs> beer gut guy. Which I love Tank Abbott. He God please, Tank just Abbott. Go and just just wreck him because this guy has done a bunch of real fights. A guy that's a wrestler would go and just take him down and pound the hell out of him. Uh, Boyce Gracie was with finesse and technique, found yeah. grappling techniques to uh, dismantle him, and, and then you found out which martial arts really worked. And so uh, that was one of the things, but. Where was yeah, it? Yeah, I was talking about my... Oh, yeah, so I did Shotokan, which is fake, which was okay. a guy... <laughs> not Shotokan, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure like, there's probably going to be people out there Patreon and Shotokan, it really worked. Well, maybe... There'll be a bunch pitching up outside the gate of my yeah, house. Right, right. I see. Oh, I see some pitchforks and some uh, citronella candles. Is <laughs> 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 that a too soon kind of joke? <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> so... No, but like, and I'm, I'm talking about the stuff that sells money and they're yeah. like they're belting people and paying for belt tests and whatever. And is martial arts got, especially those traditional martial arts, they were badass back in the day, but they became commercialized and able for everybody to do because they want to make money with it. Right? More importantly, they're being defunct. 
Right, and they're starting, and they, they they started debunking them in the early '90s. But still, there's some clowns out there pitching um, things that are really good, and 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 that that's what I learned in wrestling. So I did. I remember doing the karate when I wrestled in in eighth grade, because I remember when I was in you know really young, I took karate, and I remember these kids they like jumped me, and I remember like the first thought was I take karate, and the second thought was like that shit doesn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not the real one. Yeah. And so like, whatever, it didn't really work. And then, but after I did a season of wrestling, I was like, you know what? Like I could beat somebody up now. Yeah. Like I knew, knew how to double leg somebody and take them down. And I was on top of them. I didn't stay on their back. I didn't know. I didn't know chokeholds. I mean, we all kind of naturally know a chokehold was like, I could punch them. I could do whatever they want. I could grind them out. I can rub their face in the concrete if I needed to, which I never need to. I was always a cool kid, but, um, but anyway, so I did that. But then I quit wrestling um, because the wrestling season was during hockey season. We're talking about high school. High school, yes. Yeah. So when you get into high school, um, the the high school hockey season was the same season as wrestling, and the girls liked high school hockey more than re- the wrestlers were weird, man. They're grimy dudes with ringworm and they hang. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now, eating because they're always in the stage of having to make weight. Yeah, their cheekbones are sticking out. That you see them in class spitting in a cup. They're trying to make weight for a. That for a for, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, if you in America wrestling, you know, like kids would have to make weight, and so they would you'd see them in class with a Jolly Rancher in their mouth, or you know, like a hard candy. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. And, and using it as a salivate, and they're spitting in a cup because they're trying to get the last bit of water out of their body as they're taking their algebra test. And then after class, they're going to weigh in and wrestle later on. So God, How soul-destroying so, is that? Yeah, well, why do you think the, a lot of the dominant guys in the UFC are wrestlers? Because that's how they grew up. You know? They know how to lose that weight. Well, not only that, but the, it, you have to be tough to be a competitive wrestler. If you're an all-American wrestler, you went, you, from, from like when you were a kid to growing up, you went through adversity like that. And you, you had your face grinded in a mat since you were a kid. So you get, you get, you get that... You know adversity, so that that that's why you know I've always you know through my martial arts training I've uh, looked at wrestlers, look at what they do because they're the toughest toughest guys out there, in, in my opinion. It's not actually um, just in the the circle that within which you fight, but it's also right. outside getting ready for that, being able to spit in a cup while you're doing an algebra test. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people. I mean, just people have a hard enough time in life trying to not eat sugar, right? Like, yeah. hey, you know, like I don't know if I can not eat pizza. You know what I mean? But now, okay, now you take a wrestler. They're dieting. They're um, dehydrating themselves. They're training at an elite level. You know what I mean? Like in high school, like you know, like some wrestling programs are doing two a days and whatever. Like this is like when you're a kid, right? And and um. You know, you're doing all this, and then and then you're competing. And when you compete as, as, as in wrestling, and you're competing as or even like you know the grappling tournaments that I, I referee, um, you get you you are put in front of people. Um, it's two people inside of a ring, like a matted, and everybody's watching. Like the accountability of an individual sport, yeah, is insane. And that's like there's those light on you, and you're wrestling. So, uh, you know, it, it, it makes you tough, and it, it, it preps a lot of people. So, like, I, so when kids come up to me and say, hey, uh, I want to be a fighter, what should I do? I was like, wrestle, you know? And especially in America where, you know, you have high school wrestling programs offered. I'm like, if you want to be a fighter, you want to be tough, you want to learn the dedication, motivation, and you want to have the fitness and the drive to become a world champion fighter, you need to start at high school wrestling. It indoctrinates you early into the system right. of being able to handle the pressure. And if, if you can't handle high school wrestling practice, you cannot handle 
the, the elite training it takes to be a world champion fighter. You know, are you more of the impression that now, of course, with jujitsu and wrestling, yeah. which they're competing art forms right. apart, right? But in terms of mixed martial arts, right. the effectiveness is where is it sitting at the moment? So, so the hard thing. What's was, the general consensus? Yeah, so so when Hoist Gracie was on the scene, when it was in 1993 and the UFC came out, when when Hicks and Gracie was out there doing challenge fights from other gyms, you know, like Hicks and Gracie would, you know, there, there was like, you know, they developed, they developed Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a fighting art. Yeah. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was, the, the philosophy was, all right, we notice in a street fight, nine times out of ten, people are la- locked up and they're either going to the ground or whatever, and it turns into a, a grappling match. So we need to figure out and, and uh, execute grappling more than our striking. If, if 90% of the time you're on the ground, 90% of our training should be on the ground. So when, you, when jiu-jitsu was invented, it was invented for fighting and combat, mm-hmm. right? And when I started, I mean, I started uh, 10 years, <laughs> about 10 years ago, right? And, and my, yeah, and made, I probably started training more than that. And, and even before that, in college, I was watching tapes. And, mm-hmm. you know, back, I, I ordered... Uh, Boss Rudy's seven DVDs of combat, and it came with Bo- Bachelor Boss Gone Wild, which is a tape he sent out of his bachelor party. It was weird. But, <laughs> but Bo- El Wapo, Boss Rudy, is, is, is entertaining and charismatic and, oh, and a great that. fighter. But um, so I was always studying that aspect even before I was interested in fighting, right? Yeah. Like before I was like, like interested in actually training because I was a collegiate track and field guy, right? I couldn't fight, like I, I wasn't supposed to, right? It wouldn't be conducive to, to competing at that level. But so, um, jujitsu started out that way. And then when you, when it, and so you, you saw how well it worked with Hoist Gracie and all that stuff. Um, you saw him taking down these big guys and choking them out. When he, he fought Timo, who was this huge, roided up Hawaiian dude with tats everywhere, looking mean. Um, Hoist, you know, gutted it out with him and ended up choking him. I think I don't know the triangle choke. But, um, you know, so, so jiu-jitsu was a combat sport. And so, like, when I started my career, there's a, there was a jiu-jitsu gym at, uh, in Anchorage. And I was so like, you hey. had the option of doing jiu-jitsu as well? Yes, yes. Like, I, like basically, I, I, I looked around for anything jiu-jitsu, right? And that was the school. And also, I was like, okay, what's winning fights? Yeah. I looked at the techniques that was winning fights. And I noticed anybody who could grapple was winning fights at that time in, in life. And and even, you know, guys like Chuck Liddell, when they came on the scene, well, he was a collegiate wrestler, right? He knew how to grapple. Yeah. That's the only, oh, that's the way he was knocking people out, right? Not because he could, you know, knock people out. He had the kickboxing experience, but he was wrestling. But anyway, so at that time in the beginning, the, the jujitsu techniques were all based off of fighting and how somebody would come at you. And um, there's the, there's there was open guard and closed guard. And I remember just getting introduced to spider guard. And there wasn't a whole bunch of techniques out there, right? There was kind of like all these different. And now um, jujitsu, like how it is now, there's jujitsu competition, which is great. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Because now people can train for something. Yeah. They can compete in it. Um, I think have training and having a training goal of some sort is great. Um, uh, all the clients I work with, I don't, I don't tell them to have aesthetic goals. You know, you know, look a certain way, be a certain way. And having a thing to compete in is a good thing to do. So, um, so now there's a bunch of techniques and things. And the way jiu-jitsu works now is for 
sport jujitsu, right? They're trying to get points. They're trying to uh, find a submission any way they can, right? Even if they even if they could be exposed to potential strikes. We're talking about right? like EBI style. Yeah, I'm talking. I mean, yeah. There's there's IBJJF rules. You know, there's all kinds of different rules, right? Like uh, the Naga has their own set of rules for nogi competition. But like, but but for example, depending on what your set of rules are, will determine on how you're going to grapple, right? Like, you know, like like it's common right now, and because I referee a lot of tournaments, it's common to pull guard, right? Instead of take somebody down, you know, you 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 touch them. Make sure you touch your opponent, so you. And then sit down, so you engage, and then you sit down. That's pulling guard, yeah. and then from there you can butt scoot and do whatever. And like in the street, that's not going to work. In an MMA match, it's not going to be very effective, um, unless you're a wizard and they don't you know. Get kicked in the face. Yeah, well, that'd be illegal. But unless you're in Japan, <laughs> yeah. then, <laughs> then, then, then Japan you can start kicking people in the face like that. But um, yeah. So so jujitsu, like pure jujitsu, is 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 starting to pull away from. Um, effectiveness. Not to say that there's not techniques there and there's not terrific techniques to ride, but if you're, and, and I always tell people to get a jiu-jitsu base um, as you're starting out, put your gi on and, 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 and work with your gi and, and, you know, just use it because it, it, it still opens up creativity. You, you kind of, you know, it, it's, if you're rolling with the right gyms, it's, it's generally injury free. You know what I mean? It's good. Um, in wrestling, wrestling has has it has a lot of good aspect. So, like, if, if you're wrestling, generally you're exposed to a team. You learn how to compete. You know, a, a wrestling team might compete every weekend. Um, and this is again if you have access to a wrestling team and wrestling tournaments and stuff. Um, and and you learn like hard training. At, but but the problem with that is like they might stick their neck out too much. They're susceptible to chokes. You know, some of their techniques. Might necessarily work. Uh, they they want to they they'll expose their back, you know, because you don't want to be pinned. So you got to get out of the habit of exposing your back. So there's small things like, um, but having a wrestling. I always tell people, you know, like so if I was talking to a kid growing up, especially in the U.S., right? Um, I don't, I don't know what the thing would be like here in South Africa or whatever. But um, in the U.S., I say, hey, join your high school wrestling team, you know, and then when you get older, start learning how to box, or maybe start boxing now, but. Don't do too much impact. You don't want to affect your brain too much before it develops 100%. Right? Yeah, in South Africa, I think, well, specifically in Cape Town growing up, I knew way more guys doing judo. Right. Then there was no wrestling. Right. Wrestling was always something that happened in a Bloemfontein in the Free State. Mm -hmm. The Afrikaans guys up there, there was like a little crew of them that wrestled. And any Olympic wrestler that's ever come out of this country has come from the Free State. Right. I stand under correction. This was a long time ago. So I... I'm not entirely sure that wrestling has blown up in this country. Jiu-jitsu right. has overtaken. Yeah. Because I don't think wrestling was ever really there. Right. But now, in terms of like, okay, so the point of UFC was which style of fighting is going to be the most effective, which is why everybody in UFC 1 got stuck together and it was Hoist versus a big roided up guy from Hawaii. Right. Or whatever it may be. Now, right. Within those fighting martial arts, is there a rivalry between jiu-jitsu and wrestling and going among themselves, which is the more effective tool to have on the ground? Right. Or are they kind of respectful and saying that the styles are completely different and you can't actually compare the two, like, say, boxing 
and martial arts, uh, mixed martial arts in general. Put it that right. Way. Right. Is there that kind of a, a sort of a mentality towards it, or are the wrestlers like generally not nah, wrestling's what you got to do, not jujitsu? How does yeah. that kind of go? I mean, I think if you're in the if you're in the mixed martial arts game. Right. Um, the best people are open-minded people. Right. The this best... is really nice, by the way. Do you like the, you like the kombucha? Yeah, right. kombucha coffee. Yeah, I'm good. I, I gotta try that one. One. I should have bought. That. I should have bought that too. I gotta get a little little hit of this. Is a little bit of vinegar to it? Is that like yeah, a normal thing? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, it's fermented, right? Okay. So it's a fermentation process that happens. So then, like, what? I'm gonna hit the John straight after this. Maybe. Who knows? It'd be great. Maybe nice and solid. Uh, but um, <laughs> but the the uh. So the rivalry, right? Like you're you're, you're describing here. Um, it, as a mixed martial artist, you can't have you can't have a closed mind about anything. This this sport. I mean, I've been in it about ten years now, and it's evolved it's tremendously. Yeah. So if I was very closed minded about my mindset about you know what I'm doing, I would be left in the dust, right? I, if I if I had a closed mind. Um, so. As a mixed martial artist, I, I understand that. Um, but there's also there's some little things, right? Like a, a, a guy. So I notice some some coaches, like kids coaches, right? They'll be like, "Well, if my co- my kid pulls guard, they're they're doing you know 100 burpees." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 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 a, a guy with a wrestling base will see it as weak to uh, pull guard when you know there was guys like Eddie Bravo who made it popular to pull guard because he was like, well, if I, I watch these tournaments and you work half the, the round, because like generally ra- grappling tournaments, you do one round or, you know, submission grappling, they'll do one round and you're done. Um, you, you spend half the round trying to get a takedown. If you have two well-matched people, it's going to be hard to get a takedown, you know. And so like, why don't I just go right from my guard? And, and so they start developing a guard so they can start gaining points that way. And that's, that's why guard, you know, pulling guard makes sense. But like a guy who's like a wrestling guy is like, no man, I'm gonna be on top, and I'm gonna get the two points right away, or whatever you know point system there is. Um, and again, for for fighting, uh, you don't want to be on your back anymore. Like back in the day, I there's I, very I, few guys you can submit from their own yeah. back anyway. And and I've I've submitted Although. plenty of fights. Off, I've won fights off my back. Mm. You know, I've got a few victories off my back, and but like oh, actually twice I pulled guard with a guillotine, right? So. So I, I have pulled guard, and I, but I always laugh. I'm like, hey, I pulled guard. I remember that, like, because you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just, for, I'll always tell wrestling people, like, how'd you win? I'm like, I pulled guard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled guard. But uh, like like the one time in, in Australia, I fought a guy at middleweight. He's a big uh, Vic, I can't remember Vic Trick or whatever. Um, I, had a, I had a stay in Australia for another month and just take, take another fight while I was out there. I, I hurt my shoulder, like right after I changed my ticket and everything, I had to fight this dude. And I was like, dang it. So I didn't really train. I jogged and stuff and did cardio, but I couldn't train. My arm couldn't lift up above my shoulder. And what did so, you do to it? I don't know. I just strained it. Just, yeah, just yeah. strained it. I don't know. I don't know. I was just there by myself with no money. And I had to fight for rent. <laughs> so I couldn't like go home because I didn't have rent money. And so I, wait for them to deport you. That's your free ride. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I, uh, so I ended up fighting him with like a little, you know, a little bit of cardio and um, no arm and, <laughs> and and guillotining him in the second round. But you know, I felt the guillotine, so I was like, oh, I'm a pole guard, might as well, you know, like there's my opportunity. So I so I went home and I was like laughing with the wrestlers. Yeah, dude, I, I pulled guard at work, you know. But but, but like like fights now, we don't want to be on the bottom. We want to be on the top, yeah. you know. And and, and a, again, 
and, and a part of it's the judging too. Like if I'm on my back, I could be throwing up submissions, near finishes all day. But the the way judges tend to and and the new rules, right? They they kind of they would give the bottom guy that's trying to finish the fight, maybe even throw an effective strike to the bottom. They would score towards him, but there's still bias with referees and bias of people in the crowd. The guy on top is generally always winning, right? Well, it's also from a point of view that you said the guy on top is seen more by the judges in the work that he does right. or she does instead of the person on the bottom, but also for the crowd. Right. They're going to react more to somebody doing damage from the top because you can't actually see what the fuck is going on from the bottom anyway. Right. So for them to remember you as a fighter who does damage from the top, oh, it's because he's on the top. It's not necessarily because of what you see from the bottom because it's so difficult to see what is actually going on. Right. And I've seen fights where, um, what was it, Lauren Murphy, she, she's from Alaska. She fights in the UFC. Mm-hmm. I think she fought, I, I can't think of who she fought. I want to say Kat Lugano. I don't know. But she had a fight. I mean, somebody, somebody's out there, correct me, but, um, she, but she had a fight where she ended up on her back quite a bit, and she was throwing strikes from the bottom, and they were pretty tough strikes. She had twice as many strikes as the girl on top, right, and the judges scored the girl on top, and it was, I mean, I'm not going to say it was the wrong decision, because that's how they've been scoring MMA, right, yeah. the person on top, but then if you think of it, like, which person would you have rather been, the person that landed 50 more punches, or the person that got you know, hit 50 more times, Not you know sure. what I mean? And the, 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 the strikes were more effective from the bottom. Like, I, I think the girl on the top took more damage, but that's just how mixed martial arts scored now. So it's, it, or, or maybe maybe they're kind of trying to shift a little bit, but still the person on top will be favored. So so again, um, that wrestling dominance, that, that ingraining top dominant game into your brain is important, right? Like, um, like if you're if you're training a jiu-jitsu gym where guard is really effective and it's if that's a place you want to keep the the match, um, if you have that mindset, it's gonna hurt you in mixed martial arts. You're gonna you're gonna go to your back a lot quicker than you would on the top. So again, I I don't want to say one's worse or better than the other. They all have aspects that improve yeah. your game. Like judo, for example, there's there's a lot of great judo. The throw um, in effects. itself. Yeah. Like um, there's there's people if your hips are in the wrong spot, you, you look at Carl Parisian back in the day. He right? you up in a fight. Right, he, he messed people up. There's a, like, why why would I want to do a big double leg if there's an easy trip? You yeah. know, like that the 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 the, the overall energy expenditure. The economics of it all is yeah. in a, in in a judo sense. They know economics. Right. So if I have effective judo, um. I can be economically sound, right? Yeah. And you saw that with Ronda Rousey in the mm-hmm. women's division too. She, she, you know, she didn't have a grind out of victory. She would be very slick. And then the judo, um, you train to to finish because they, I, I, and I don't know the rules exactly, but I, I know you have a small, a short amount of time to have a submission. And so, like Ronda, for example, she was throwing a submission like lightning quick, and you know, it helped her game in mixed martial arts for sure. So again, at every aspect. A mar- you can take something from almost any martial arts, you know, um, and, and you just got to pick and choose the right stuff and the right things that are effective. And you can't completely throw something to the wind, but also really analyze and think about what you're doing. And so it's, 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 it's a thinking man's craft right here, you know. So from college wrestling or just in high school? 
Oh, just just eighth grade. That's all I wrestled. Oh, uh, all I wrestled. All of me personally wrestled. That was your wrestling career. Was eighth grade. That was my debut, and I rode out in the sunset in eighth grade. Okay, so where did it go to from there on your martial arts journey to get you to where you are now? What was the next step for you? So I, I went. I went to high school. Did did um, ice hockey for a while, and then um, track and field and cross country. And I was I was a distance runner, right? Like I uh, specialized in the sixteen hundred meters and in the thirty two hundred meters. And uh, in college, I, I ended up running for a Division II school, um, NCAA Division II school called Adams State College, which they had a legendary history in Division II. Um, I knew I wouldn't be able to, I, I wasn't skilled enough. Like, I, and, I, and in my mind, I was like, well, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm, I was doing well in running. I was like, you know, a contender in state championships in Alaska, and I did really well. But I was like, well, once I focus 100% on running, I'm going to get really good. Mm. You know, but then I learned something called genetic potential. Right, um, <laughs> and like if you look at me now, I'm kind of like stocky, and I have a big. You frame. don't strike me as an endurance runner. No, but I was I was much smaller than I like. What I usually weigh in is what I walked in at. You know, like I usually weighed in at light. You know, like I'd walk around soaking wet at, at 155 pounds, which is I don't know whatever 70 kilos. I, I think yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what lightweight is. But um, so that's what my walk around weight was. Um, so I was thinner, but it was kind of like, you know, we ran a lot there and I ended up catching injuries. Um, I did the steeplechase, right, which is 3,000 meters with, with five hurdles. Yeah, 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 that's in the water over the hurdle. Yeah, yeah. There, there's one water pit forward. And you like, don't even canyon. No, and, and that's what I learned. Well, we had a guy from Somalia on our team. And right? he fucked all of you up. Yeah, well, and he wasn't he wasn't the best, right? There was a few guys that were, but he was the top one of all Americans on our gym. Our, Place. But I remember like watching him. He had an injury, so he got all fat, you know, like and, and fat for a uh, uh, fat for a Somalian. His name is Muhammad, and um, he he got like a little belly. And then like one le- week later, he got he got healed, and and he didn't cross train too much. He was just, like kind of depressed because it's the first time he ever got injured, right? And so he got done, and like one week later, he like beating me again, and I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like I'm doing everything coach says or whatever. And well, what was funny is um talking about genetic potential, Mo we call, we call him Mo. Um, he uh he he came he he, he we were ta- he come after he retired he he was, he was a assistant coach like an intern coach for us and so he's like he's like Dave I want you to get jacked I want to get strong and stuff and so our so he. he we talked to our uh, spread coach and he wrote him out a bodybuilding program and and so like he would lift with us and a- after I retired from after I got done with all my eligibility at track I, I was lifting with the coaches and we were kind of doing like strength slash bodybuilding you know um as me and uh coach Wallen and, and Derek Woodsby who now is like a international like strength conditioning specialist mm-hmm. dude's like blowing up the scene if you guys want to see a good Instagram account or a good uh um, motivational thing, Derek Woodsby, this guy's one of the best in the world. And I was fortunate enough to get learned strength conditioning from this guy. But anyways, they wrote him out a program and I remember him like training for about a month and he got a little bit stronger. He got a little bit of size, but he was mad because it didn't come really fast. Cause all he's done. It's Cause his body was saying you're meant to be a runner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, he could have got strong. He could and not, not say he wouldn't have benefited from it. You know, I'm sure he would have, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't talked to Mo in a while. <laughs> they'll tag him on a podcast Mo we're talking about you buddy <laughs> but I remember like he had trouble 
getting on the size that like you know all of us did you know because i started blowing up getting really strong and you know he saw like old day you know I'm, this is I'm, unfair I'm sure, yeah and then he saw it and i was like okay this is genetics mm -hmm. and what i liked about distance running because it was simple right if i run faster than you i win right and all i gotta do to run faster is make my legs move faster than yours and i will beat you and i just thought i could just reach down and grab onto my balls and be like all right they're big they're big and I'm gonna mess this dude up, right? Like, I, I just thought if I was tougher than every single person, I will beat them. That's right? that the most minute detail. Right, Just right. make my legs go faster than yours, it should be fine. Right, and it was common for me to like vomit in workouts and stuff. I'd run myself so I'm vomiting, you know? Like it was, that, that's why they called me the pain train, right? Because they, they, they'd, they would see me vomiting in a trash can, like, oh, the pain drain, whoa, whoa, you know, I'm, like, I'm a loud puker, whoa, you know, like, <laughs> vomiting in the trash can. It was kind of a spectacle at track meets, all these parents would be, like, looking at me, just hurling at everybody, like, laughing and pointing. It's like, he's on drugs. Yeah, he's on drugs. No, it's just lactic, that's just bile, that's bile and lactic acid, I just puked into the, into the trash can next to the bleachers. Sorry, do you want me to change that bag, you know? <laughs> so what did it get to you? Get you into so, either was it so was it wrestling or was it fighting that happened to so, you? No, no. Well, well. So throughout high school, um, and I guess I graduated in two thousand two. So throughout high school and even middle school, I, I I would go to Blockbuster Video, which is a place you have a movie rental place. But even not, there are some neighborhoods that still have these. Numbers. Yeah, Alaska saw one. I saw one in, in Anchorage. Yeah, I was like, not extinct. I saw one in Plumstead <laughs> yesterday when I drove through. I'm like, yeah, this is. Yeah, just makes sense. Well, they need a video store. Right, right. And so I remember the special intersection section had the Ultimate Fighter, and we'd always go, we always watch them. You know, I was like, dang, this is cool because I, I watched, you know, obviously a John Claude Van Damme movies and oh, stuff, yeah. and you know, I saw the Kuba Steven Seagal. Yeah, Steven, you know, all that stuff, and I was like, man, like, and there would be like these movies with different style. I remember, I remember a Bloodsport, right? They had all the different styles, the, the Tie Fighter, and then. The, the the American guy that was like was that the one where they dip their hands in glass at the end? No, that was kickboxer. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Which you also watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then hot shots, they dipped it in ice cream and stuff. Remember hot shots part <laughs> with Charlie Sheen? Yes. <laughs> he dipped his hands in chocolate oh, and then sprinkles. I remember that. <laughs> and like yeah, but, but um. And that was a vague rip off of Top Gun, wasn't it? It was like, yeah, they, they ripped off Top Gun. It was they, a whole they, they bunch of, of them. Kickboxer yeah. was a spoof movie. It was really funny. It was hilarious. But, um, so, uh, like, I was always intrigued with which martial art works well, right? And I didn't, you know, and so when I heard of this ultimate fighting and I put my VHS tape and we would watch it and we were just, I remember sitting there with my dad and stuff. It was just intriguing, right? That this little guy found a way to win. And so I always followed mixed martial arts. And then and in high school, um, we would order the Pride pay-per-views, you know, like we'd get all our friends from high school together and watch Pride in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, when it was hot in Japan, they're selling out the Tokyo Dome and people in the U.S. didn't really know about it and the UFC was just getting kind of, and this is before, you know, Forrest and, 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 uh, and uh, Stefan Bonner fight, you know, this is before it got really industrialized and, and, and they got commissions and stuff. And so, but, but in Japan, it was like the real deal. All the best fighters in Japan. Taking all, all the best supplements. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. There's juice to the gills. Free fights. Oh, you know? my God. I, I love it. And so, um, so we were watching that, and, and, and I was always intrigued. But then throughout college, I, I did the 
thing that you're supposed to do. I went to college and I went to, you know, uh, compete in, in track and field, which I just love to compete. I love to grind. I love to train. Um, and halfway through college, when I learned that I can't distance run because I'm fat, I was a fat kid. They called me a fat kid, right? And I had abs, but I'm a fat kid. So there's a big bone. I'm a big, stocky. Like, I'm not, no, I'm not big. But for a distance runner, I should have been 100, I should have been, you know, 10 kilos less than I was. And I was emaciated for my body type. And then, um, so uh, I, I did that. And then I started the decathlon, the, the sprint coach, because he, he just saw me just depressed and broken down. Dude, I can't do the distance run. I kept getting hurt because we would run seven days a week. And then Monday through Friday would be twice a day, right? And, and Saturday and Sunday, we do a long run. And, um, it was an insane training regimen because we were world class, and I learned that world class attitude and that championship attitude that you need through that program. But we had an equally competitive um, sprint program with John Wall, and he put this together. and He was just a great dude. He, he saw me, and he saw my work ethic, and he saw like what I had. And, and you know, even though I wasn't as good of a distance runner as I thought I would be. People saw it and they're like, dude, this guy works hard. They enjoyed having me because I would give it my all every practice, every day. Your attitude was rock to be around. Right, right. right. And I, it, it didn't, whatever I had didn't come easy, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I put in the time, I put in the grit. And then Coach Wall, and I was even staying over the summer, like, you know, after, at my last, my la- my last uh, summer as a distance runner, you know, earlier on I was working for the construction company. Yeah. But like my last summer as a distance, oh, I think it was, and it was earlier and later after I got done with my eligibility. Um, but um, after I got done, you know, I was staying over the summer because I, I was, I'm going to train, you know, I'm going to keep training here. Like I'm going to, we, we cut lawns to, to, to pay for our uh, living yeah, and, and, lodging, yeah. and we're just, we're just running and, and we started, you know, me and my buddy Eric Diener, um, uh, who was my roommate, one of my best friends in college, and we, me and him started a to-the-finish lawn care, and you know that's how we funded our our stuff, you know, and we just trained all summer with the team, and we were just super dedicated, right? And um, but my coach, Coach Wallen, was like, Dave, you know, like you're, I I know you have something, and he just believed in me, like yeah. one of one of you know, and it's one of those moments, and it like, it it it, it, it uh, you know, when somebody sees something in you. And believe in you it's it, it feels great right yeah. and and just that belief and and he put time and so i started i remember like he I said hey why don't you become a decathlete because he knew the decathlon is tough it's 10 events that you shot put discus javelin pole vault long jump um the the 110 meter hurdle the 400 meter dash the 1500 um the you know the high jump i, I don't know you gotta learn everything and he knew I had the motivation the dedication to learn all these events and like this mixed martial arts you gotta have an open mind about stuff and so coach Wallen was training us over the summer so I like that day that next day I was like all right you know this is my move and so I did that so I learned the decathlon I learned how to so I had a good aerobic base and then I learned like all these anaerobic activities right I learned how to lift I learned how to uh uh you know, he lifted four day, four days a week and with Olympic lifts and, and a proper um, strength conditioning program with compound lifts and, per, you know, correct periodization and stuff like that. Um, that's one of the reasons why I laugh when I see general strength and conditioning for mixed martial arts, but we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so um, it's getting better, by the way, but it's been crap for a while. Um, so, uh, so I ended up doing that. And then 
you know, throughout my college career, I followed fighting and just thought it was great. And I was like, you know, like I always felt the end of my, you know, in, inside me that I could do that. Yeah. And and it, well, and as a matter of fact, when I was a distance runner, it was kind of funny. They had this like ultimate fight night inside this little tiny bar in in Alamosa, Colorado. And I'm saying like, like they have a ring that was on the ground level and ropes that these steel posts put up. It was shaded a disco ball above us. Sorry, what did you just go to the bar, start drinking, and then decide you wanted to have a ruckus with somebody next to you? Well, no, no. It was like they set it up so they like you know call us for trained you know, athletes. If you want to fight, no. And so like yeah, we had a few people, well, a few of the wrestlers fought, you know, and a few of the football players, and you know like they're all in there, and they wanted to match me up with uh, this guy. Uh, Are we talking boxing yet? No, this is mixed martial arts. Oh, wow. This, this is an MMA fight. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. In a bar? Yeah, yeah. In a, in a little tiny bar. Like, I'm saying, like, tiny country bar. Dude, like, I, it, it was, it was, there's, there's no, there's no commission, no, like, I don't know. It was sketchy, right? I have a VHS tape of this. There's one VHS tape of this. And, like, <laughs> and so I was a distance runner at the time, right? I was like, I'm going to do that. I want to fight. You know, that'd be cool. Was this your very first competitive I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Was you could in say. a pokey little bar on yeah. a Friday night. Yeah, Friday. It was it was Saturday, because I did a ten mile run that day, right? So, because I didn't want coach to find out, right? So, I was telling my buddies, and I was like just sort of wrestling with my friends, practicing all the moves that I saw on uh, TV. On yeah, and on I was reading, and I read Ken Shamrock's book, Enter the Lion, in, in, Enter the Lion's Den, and I was and I was practicing all the moves in there, right? And so I get in. So so like I'm I'm keeping it secret. I only tell my close friends and coach. I didn't want to tell him because I don't want him to kick me off the team. Yeah. Right? For doing something that would like be getting hurt. And so let me see. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think what the uh, uh, ten miles. So what, what's a kilometer to a mile? Um, it's one and a half or something like that. How many miles is ten kilometers? Oh wait, hold on. All the way around. No, no, no. <laughs> Siri, I'm gonna ask Siri. <laughs> How many kilometers is ten miles? Let's see if Siri. Answer is sixteen point zero nine kilometers. Yeah, so I so I ran almost uh That's six, not short. I ran sixteen kilometers. that that you'd average at least sixteen kilometers a day, right? Um so like and I, and I run like sixteen kilometers was like a well, that was like okay, that's a good easy run. That was like our For someone who's trained in running, that's a, yeah, that's that, a key top up. Right, that was like my distance running. So I, I remember ran that that morning, and then so, and then that night I ended up fighting. So I, I went to the store and bought myself a mouthpiece and uh, <laughs> didn't know how to wrap my hands. But I was bare knuckle under these MMA gloves they gave me, and um, and I ended up fighting this dude who I guess he had he was a Greco Roman wrestler, right? And uh, oh shit, first yeah, up, yeah, yeah. But I, I ended up ducking this. He was bigger than this last guy because the last guy was smaller, but he was an all American wrestler for out of state. Out of state was known for the wrestling. They're like, hey, you want to fight this guy? I'm like, nope. Because I knew wrestlers were badass, right? Like, yeah. okay. And they still match up this guy. And they're like, oh, by the way, he's a Greco, former Greco Roman wrestler. And I'm like, damn. But he wasn't a collegiate wrestler. I'm like, hey, whatever. Because I knew, like, I knew, like, he had But he was a former something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was something. <laughs> Should have been the worrying and, factor. And I was a distance runner with a with a eighth grade wrestling background. No raps. <laughs> yeah, no raps. And so I, I, so I get in there. Vomiting in the dustbin outside. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, people were shit-faced, right? And, oh, that was kind of funny because my parents were visiting me randomly. Like, randomly. They're from Alaska. And they're like, yeah, we're going to be in town. I was like, cool, you're going to watch me fight at weekends. He's like, what? Yeah, weekends. The, the country western bar where I go two-stepping, you know, like two-step dancing. Because that's the only way you can pick up chicks there. You got to learn how to two-step dance. 
You know? Is this in Colorado? This is in Colorado. Oh, in college. Yeah, yeah. Middle of town of 10,000, right? <laughs> and so, um, so we were in there, everybody's pissed drunk and, and like crowded around this ring and I get in there and, you know, we go in there and fight. And this dude takes me down and I'm like, I kind of know the defense for things and he isn't really getting strikes Yeah, in. from what you and, read in a book. Yeah, and so I'm like, okay, I'm a pull guard <laughs> and make sure crazy. I'm a guard. And so he's like, not really landing much, you know what I mean? And, and so during the first round, like two ring girls that they hired, like random ring girls, right? Um, Waitresses. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're like, you know, this is southern, this is like town ten thousand southern Colorado. They aren't too pretty, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they start fighting, right? They start getting a fight, and so they're fighting, and they stop the fight because it's a small bar, right? Like it's so small that it's a fact, you know. They're like, stop, stop, stop the fight. You know, they stand us back up. We're waiting, and this guy literally, and you can see this on the video, has this ring girl over the shoulder, and he's walking around. She's grabbing onto a post like kicking her legs and they literally like kind of toss her out of the ring of the, of the bar and then all right go and then the bell ring first round so that was my first round right second <laughs> second round kind of same thing we both exchange a few strikes he starts to clinch up i pushed away landed like a shot and then um you know you know taking me down kind of holding me because the wrestlers kind of don't hold down that's all i knew how to do and then the third round same thing happened, but I kind of like get me like a side control and push his head back and I put him like in a head scissors type thing and I'm squeezing him and then like the bell rings and he pops out and everybody's like, oh, he had him, you know, like like it was close and they're like, oh, painter, you know, that wasn't the painter. Are we talking like, rounds of three minutes yet? I don't know what they were. There okay. was no, there was no clock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's probably whenever the guy that decided to ring the bell. I don't even know if they had a bell. They're probably like an air. It was horn. a lost round yeah. bell. Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, that's good. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? So, anyways, um, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly like, in full, <laughs> by the way. And so, so that they're like everybody. And then actually, it was kind of funny because my dad was like, I think it was my it had it on my dad because I heard it in the tape. My dad goes, one more round, <laughs> and they're like, everybody's like, yeah. One more round, one more round. Everybody starts chanting, one more round. And they're like, all right, we're going to go into overtime. One more round. You so know. you rewrote the rules to get one more round. Yeah. Because yeah. your father was basically saying, oh, you want to fight? Okay, let's see this. Now bring it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I almost had him. You know? And so my buddy's like, yeah, one more round. And the whole place starts chanting, one more round. That's one so more cool. round. And then, you know, of course, they took me down and, and, and he, got, he held me, you know, and, and uh, and then, you know, he won the decision or whatever, and I think the guy won 50 bucks. I won nothing. Um, <laughs> Not even a beer. Yeah. I, I, I think, well, yeah. I, I think suppose the crowd were buying you. Maybe so. I think, well, you know, what's funny is because I was, I was, I had to, I had to do a, I had to run probably about 24 kilometers the next yeah. day because um, it was our long Sunday run, right? So, uh, like, I went home and went to bed. You know, I didn't even, like, buy, I, I went, I went home right after. I didn't buy, and, and during cross country season, we didn't drink at all. So, um, yeah, I didn't even get a beer out of the fight. <laughs> How many more no, of one. these bar fights did you compete in, or did this kind of light the fuse for the rest well, of your that, career? Well, that was just one, you know. And then, but you know, I think my fuse was lighted as soon as I saw UFC. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I want to do that. I, I, I think I'd be good at this. Mm -hmm. And you know, and even my friends were like, you'd be good at that, Dave. And I was like, yeah, you know, because I'm a tough, scrappy dude, like in every sport I played. And, uh, well, dedicated. they didn't pick you to be an accountant, so like, no. you know, the fighting seems the right yeah. fit for this guy. Which shame on them. Now here I am fighting for peanuts all around the world. <laughs>
you know, no health insurance, whatever. You know, living in an apartment, broken down car, whatever. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Sitting me straight. I'm doing great. Got some drain damage. <laughs> drain damage. Yeah, of course. What did I say? No. <laughs> but you said it like a fighter would be expected to say. Drain damage. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so then. Uh, you know, I, I did the decathlon and I got back home after college and it's like, college is, college is just almost as silly as fighting, right? Like you do, you spend all this money, you go in debt and stuff. Unfortunately, my college, uh, I, I had a lot of money saved up for college, the permanent fund dividend where like they pay you to live in Alaska. It's a stay. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, because <laughs> the, the oil companies make money off of state land and the, pro, the, the, the interest off the profits they make get divvied among the citizens. Yeah. So my parents were nice enough to save that for me. Some parents like, hey, we're gonna buy a snowmobile, you know? And so they like, here's a hundred bucks, kid. And they're like, yeah, I got a hundred bucks. Or here's a PlayStation. Like, yeah, I got a PlayStation. When their parents spend like two grand, you know, like buying a snow snowmobile, and they're like, you know, but then my parents saved it up, which is cool. And that funded a lot of my college later on. You know, I, from when I was a baby to when I was 18, I had all this money saved up, which I, I'm really thankful for that. They used that opportunity um, to get me an education. And, and that school was relatively cheap. There was, a promote, there was an organization called Western Undergraduate Exchange where I paid like a small a percentage of the in-state tuition. So it was affordable to go to school out of state. And, um, and so, uh, I did the all-American thing where you're supposed to go to school and graduate, and I graduated with a degree in human performance and physical education with a minor in coaching, and I, I was like on pre-physical therapy track, and I realized, you know, med school, like, I don't know, I, I noticed physical therapy was kind of lame because you're just dealing with old, broken people and stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking, like, sports and stuff, but yeah, I don't know, like, like generally, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that, you know, like, and so I went back home, I was like, I, I was like, I work construction, I, uh, I substitute taught. I, uh, I I was a head coach for a, like a head coach. I was like 20, yeah, 25. I was a head coach for cross country track and field and a hockey team all in one. Wow. Like all like all the like throughout the year, I was just I was a head coach. Me and well, my buddy and I, Sean Rafter, guy who grew up playing hockey. He uh, he was the other Bartlett head coach. And here we are coaching against people that we played against. You know what I mean? Like, like I played against that kid and I'm like wearing my tie, you know, on the, I'm standing on the bench. Like, all right, just change the lines up, boys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know these, these former like professional hockey players and me and, me and my buddy Sean Rafter, you know, like <laughs> taking, taking the reins and they're all old school, like our old high school that we used to compete for. Um, but uh, so anyways, but during when I came back, I was like, well, I want to, I, I got to keep training. I can't, I'm too young to like just, just be a person and I don't know, lift weights and stuff. I got trained for something, man. And I was like, so like, I, I, I went to join that jujitsu school and with the secret intention of fighting. Like, I never told anybody. Not, I wasn't that guy that was running around, but like, I'm, I'm coming to this gym and I want to fight. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I just trained and then eventually I got to the point where I like, I did about, you know, a few months of jujitsu for a while and then. Started dabbling in the MMA practice. I told him, hey, man, I'm looking for, I kind of want to fight. You know, and I did my first fight in Fairbanks, Alaska in the Carlson Auditorium. And uh, I watched that fight. The, the knees, the knees. The, I saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, that, that, he was just completely overwhelmed. But I mean, you yeah. can also see the body shapes. Um, yeah. I was like, 
Dumpling boy's gonna yeah. get fucked up. Yeah, I was, I was a collegiate <laughs> athlete who lift weights. You were pretty yeah. stacked when you walked yeah. down those stairs through yeah. that smoke. That was quite an entrance you yeah. made there. Yeah. Yeah, you know I need to show my shit then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, let's figure it out. But but the thing was, um, that that the, the thing was is that like I was gonna do one. I was like, you know, let's try it out. And and what was funny, what was funny about that fight, you know, I was like, you just score. I'm gonna take this guy guy down and and uh, and submit him, whatever. You were kneeing him. I know. I ended up getting a clinch. I need the lead, need the hell out of him, and he got knocked out. And I was like, oh, I, I, this works. Two <laughs> knees to the body, and they clipped him in the chin, and he went down. I was like, I kind of stood up. I was like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> you know, you did look a little bit yeah. shocked in the Yeah, room. it's on like, YouTube weird. if you want to go and check it out. Yeah. What was his name? Uh, I think it was a Dave Lazani's MMA debut yeah, or something like that. That's what it's listed under. But it, it, it was really weird. Uh, just okay, but I but you know it was, a, it was a challenge. It was something I like wanted to keep doing. You know I I saw these, the, the, you know I, these people on this big stage. I looked at Japan. I want to fight in Japan. You know, you're right in South Africa, which is kind of funny. You know, I was like, Japan. Yeah, I was like, yeah, the other Japan, <laughs> South Africa. I, I wanted to fight in Japan. That was my goal. Like, I didn't care about the UFC. I was like, I want to be on Pride. I want to yeah. fight in Japan. Because at that time, that was the preeminent organization. Yeah. The, and the was, and the thing is, like in America, when you watch the UFC, the shut it down. Yeah, yeah, right. But in America, there's guys with mullets and like beers, like yeah, knock them out. I don't know anything about the sport. Yeah. You know, like I want to see blood. And to me, it was a beautiful art. Yeah. To me, there was jujitsu, and there was this, these transitions, and, and but the Japanese respected it, right? The Japanese would see, they would see a sweep, and they go, oh, yeah, and they clap their hands, you know, and and and, and the, so so I wanted to go to Japan because they they respected what I did, and they appreciated win or lose, they respected the people that are in the cage, and the problem I had with Americans, um, American fans is they would one not they just want to see blood they want to see you get concussed and knocked out they didn't appreciate the art and the beauty of mixed martial arts and you know they would appreciate the winner and and push the loser to the, the side, side yeah. right and and um the uh japanese crowd respected anybody who stepped into the, the at that time it was a squared circle right it was inside a ring um which i because and, and that's how I feel about the fight. Like if you train hard and you step into that cage, I respect you. You know whoever you are, right? Like I have, even if you're standing across from me, I have respect for you. Absolutely. You know it's it's not, you know. Because you both invariably went through hell to get to where you are to stand opposite each other, and that's when the other part of right. the hell is going to start. Right. And there's there's chance of paralyzation. There's chance of death. You can injure a limb to the point where you're not going to to train anymore and you're not doing it for a lot of money like there's very few fighters that make a lot, a lot of money at it and all of us we're doing it for the love of the art love of the sport and we're doing it for you people's entertainment and 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 we're doing it to entertain people at, at home at the end of the day that's what it is but also there's such a fair slice of adventure involved in this because like yeah. how many countries have you fought in now i fought uh here australia canada um i cornered in mexico um, I fought all over the United States. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Maybe we'll see. I mean, who knows? Like, I might corner, might have an opportunity somewhere else, like cornering somebody. We'll see. I'm not that <laughs> now, just so that South African people can get a perspective of the size of MMA in this country and compared to what it is in America now. Right. 
you've got in America Bellator, UFC, who I suppose are the two top organizations, although UFC is still above Bellator, but they're yeah. the two top pay-per-view uh, organizations to be fighting for. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the professional fight league is kind of, is it formerly World Series of Fighting? Okay. They're, they're kind of making waves. But. Is that now the third sort of position number three? Would you yeah, say? I would say that. Yeah, I mean, there's like, there's other things like RFA is, is a feeder to the to UFC. Um, that's like a West Coast one. There's different there are different shows, but I would say televised and stuff. Those three would be the biggest ones. But then even the smaller shows that mm-hmm. you're talking about selling out, like maybe a thousand people. Yeah, there's tons of those organizations in America. Yeah, they're all over, and, it, and and there's a lot of issues with that, right? Like from um, commissioning issues. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes commissioning issues, right? So, um, like there's there's issues as far as like a small promotion, they'll find ways to to make it inexpensive to to put on their show. Drug right? based on being done. Yes, right. So so they'll they'll do things like um, put the Fight on an Indian reservation, right? Okay. So, what's so, the what's the, the mindset? I kind of know, but I yeah. know there's a lot of people so, who want. So there's an Indian reservation where they they kind of have their own set of governing body there, right? Like so, like we're talking have, law. Yeah. So yeah. Like, there's different laws. So that's why you'll see like uh, like like so the state of Nevada, we have gambling, and that's just like kind of a state thing. But in other other states, um, where the Native Americans have a territory. Right, they kind of govern themselves. Govern themselves, and the one way to produce income was having casinos, so they would allow um, gambling, for example. And so, if uh, you have a fight uh, in a state that has commissions, you know, uh, like like athletic commissions. Well, if you are a Native American Indian casino, right, you don't have to abide under a commission. So there's different, and or or if you're like fighting in Alaska, for example, there's I still don't think there is a Alaskan uh, athletic state commission. No, there's not none. So, like, as far as you know, having the so it's up to the promotion if they ch- so choose. And and I believe, and I'm not 100 percent sure. I know it was like this in the past. Like the EFC, they do this all all the drug testing, all the uh, they watch you know the the all the the weigh-ins and stuff. They do that on their own and to make sure they try to hold up to the standard of a major athletic commission. They put in their own money to make their promotion legitimate. It's not forced onto them by a commission. Yeah, that's because MMA somehow has still boxing in in South Africa. You get boxing South Africa, which is legislation. Mm -hmm. Boxing, there's the Boxing Act, so it's a law in the country, and it's basically government-run. Right, right. They're the commission involved. MMA, because it's so new, Never got absorbed into the right. Boxing Act. So they're still on the outside doing their own thing, right. but having to adhere to the same international standards that you would expect at the UFC. So right. they're looking at the UFC, they're doing a lot of the same things the UFC mm-hmm. are doing in terms of, hopefully, uh, drug uh, drug checking and all that sort of thing. Although it's definitely not as stringent as America's because there's no one knocking on someone's door at 3 o'clock asking for a vial of their urine. That right. doesn't happen here. Right. But there is some form of uh, of um, of people like watching after the whole drug situation, which is right. probably the most important. 
but, but they're going to be absorbed into that government system, and unfortunately, in this country, it will be a fuck up. Right. Right. So enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, yeah. In yeah, way, totally. in South Africa, enjoy yeah. it while it lasts, because as soon as the Boxing Act gets involved, right. and Boxing South Africa gets involved, they are going to want their cut, and right. they're going to put their people at the cage who have right. no experience in mixed martial arts, right. and there's going to be a good 10 years where the sport is going to be very un- unidentifiable in terms of things that are happening. But And that, that was the issue in, in the United States with the Nevada Athletic Commission and stuff. You'd have boxing dr- judges... There still are boxing judges. Yeah. I've noticed in yeah. UFC fights. Yeah. Ben yeah. Trowbridge. I'm like, you're a terrible boxing judge. How the fuck did you get over here to do a UFC fight? Right, right. So it's, yeah, that's that's the unfortunate thing. But, but like, so these smaller organizations, the ones I brought myself up in, you know, mm-hmm. um, brought by my record up in, you know, they're doing drug testing. They're kind of weighing in on, on whatever scale they have, right? And, it, you know, you have... The weigh-ins are kind of they, they, sometimes they won't even check your wraps. You know what I mean? They'll yeah. just put on wraps and it's a bit know, of a lottery check. Yeah, and, and you know, and and I've had I haven't ha- I've had checks bounce, but I mean I I've uh, gotten the money eventually. But I've had fighters not get paid, right? Like they 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 were promised a certain payment. That is year in boxing all the time. Right, right, and so 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 that kind of stuff's unfortunate, right? And uh, and and as far as promoting yourself, it's hard to. Well, fighting out of Vegas is the this is the problem I've had is like Vegas is the upper echelon of entertainment, right? Yeah. You have you know Britney Spears and, and Penn and Teller, and you have all these really famous I don't know acts that come to Vegas like every band Tom Jones, <laughs> everybody, right? Um, but uh, so as far as professional fights go. Um, the UFC comes there, but you're not going to have a local crowd to perform under if you're like not a UFC fighter. So I've had to somehow market myself online and try to communicate with promoters and have promoters fly me in to fight. Well, the issue is if you fly me into Edmonton, Canada from Las Vegas, you think that Edmonton promoter is going to want me to win that match not a fucking chance no they're matching with me with somebody who they believe will beat me yeah right they're they're uh they're putting me in a in a and i'm not going to say like every promoter did this but you know they put you in a shitty hotel sometimes you uh don't have access to much things and you know you're you're there to lose transport is late if at all if it arrives right that kind of thing all tricks yeah, yeah right so so the adversity i've had to go to to build a record right yeah. Like, so, so I've, I've given myself a winning record going to other people's backyards, beating them, you know, um, you know, uh, fighting in different conditions every time. Like, do like sometimes they don't have a sauna, sometimes they don't have a bath to, to cut the weight in. Um, I've learned how to cut weight in, inside of a bathroom in a hotel, right? Like, like without a, without a bathtub, you know, like using hair dryers and, Whatever, you know, there's all kinds of tricks that I've learned. You know, I've, I've learned how to travel and pack my own food with me sometimes because yeah. I don't know what's going to what, be on the other end. Yeah, like, hey, you got you got a Denny's next door, like, you know, breakfast restaurant. You know, that, that, that'll be, there's your food. And, you know, I'm like, okay, that will work. You know, so um, fighting out of Las Vegas and building a record is one of the hardest things to do because, one, you're never the fan favorite. No. Because the minute, like, you're in a small town, and they see that your 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 hometown guy is fighting a guy from Las Vegas. That's a big opportunity for the hometown guy. You know, everybody's rooting for him, 
and you know, and and, and whatever. Um, and again, that's kind of what happened with me in South Africa when I fought in EFC five against Wenzel Mill. I was supposed to lose that fight. EFC five. EFC five. That was like 2010, 2011? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to look at Sherdog. Sure, <laughs> but, but yeah, one of their first events, they they had um, Chris Bright was supposed to fight Winslow Mill. Yeah, this is 2011, 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah about six years ago. Holy Remember? shit. Yeah, and so... I had no idea that you'd come up that early or that yeah. far long ago. This is, this, is how, this is how pain training got reborn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I was training out of Las Vegas. Um, that We were going through a recession in the United States. I was coming off of three losses out of Alaska. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I lost a local fight against a rivalry. Um, and I got flown out to Edmonton couple times because these guys are like hey you want to fight in Edmonton I'm like yeah you know I was young I was like I'm gonna travel to fight this is awesome yeah. you know and I fought these Edmonton boys one of them uh Claude Patrick he beat me second round ground and pound um he eventually went to the UFC and then I beat I got beat by Ryan Ford who um ended up being a Bellator fighter and that's when I decided to drop weight because he crushed my orbital and shattered my nose and I get everything reconstructed. No, I yeah. think I've seen that fight. Yeah, he probably. was like Mr. Body Beautiful. He was a very, very jacked, and he was a lot bigger than you. Yeah, yeah, he was really big. And was it a kick? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that the one where the blood was coming out of his foot? Yep, from my nose bone. Explain to me what happened that fight because you guys did not look like you were in the same weight division. We were. We both weighed in at welterweight. I walked around at welterweight. Wow, well, he around must have stuck weight. on a lot of weights overnight. He, he cut weight, yeah. So that's when I learned about the weight cut, yeah. right? A, a shin in the face really taught me about cutting weight. Because if you can look <laughs> it up on YouTube, you guys yeah. do not look in the same weight class. No, but but we weigh the same the day before. That's incredible. Yeah. That blows my mind. So that's that's the difference between cutting weight and not cutting weight, if you guys want to see an example. And I, it even kicked me in the face. I landed on my back. I, I, I started going for an arm bar. And like unconsciously, my 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 fighting instinct he went for an armbar. He picked me up and slammed me in kind of my face. And then I ended up paying all this money. I did, I, I moved out of my place and shacked up with my parents. Just worked construction to pay off all my medical debt because medical that's a whole other discussion. So that was but, actually a fight that you paid to be in at the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah, in more yeah. ways than one. Yep, yep. I paid a lot financial. I had a big loss in that fight. Um, and then my teeth are still numb on the top of my face from uh, that kick, right? Um, so I'm reminded, you know, almost daily of Ryan Ford kicking my face in. But the thing was, it, like, and everyone's telling me to retire. And they're like, Dave, retire. You know, you're done. You shouldn't do this. This isn't for you. I mean, again, I was being matched silly. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a manager. But I that was just the lottery that was thrown up. Well, that was just like, hey, Dave, you want to do that? Hell yeah, I'm a fighter. I'll fight anybody. You know what I mean? The attitude that everybody says they have, right? You know, and... Fighters do, but their coaches guide them, feed them, they guide them, and, and I didn't really have that guidance. I had the attitude of every fighter out there, but I wasn't guided properly. Mm -hmm. So um, anybody could like kill their career off and be fighting the wrong people at the wrong time. But if I fought those guys now, no, uh, Ryan would still be out. I wouldn't fight Ryan one because he's like out of my weight class, you know. And, was um, he not middle welterweight? He was welterweight. I don't know if he's doing it anymore, but he was he was big big name in Dallas where he couldn't. I don't know. There, there was rumor of why he couldn't fight in the UFC, but I don't know. <laughs> like, Is that drugs is? Uh, well, back yeah, back then a lot of people were doing drugs, but even back in the UFC, back then people were doing drugs. Yeah. You know, they would only test it. Today, yeah. So and they could be now, right? They're, people are testing positive, obviously. But um, so it was after that fight that I decided, you know, screw you guys, like all you guys hating on me, and like I still believe in my heart that I can do this, and I I believe that I 
am a fighter. You know, I, I know I can do this. So I went down to, the, to, to Las Vegas during the, the recession, financial recession. Um, you know, I got laid off from a job, had a little bit of unemployment, had money in my bank account that I'd made working construction, which was very fruitful up in Alaska. I could have continued to make, make money doing that, but... Um, it's just not where your heart was. No, it's not. And, and, and I went down to Vegas the worst time in my lifetime, probably, financially, um, in that in that region, because the first thing that's getting pulled out in a recession is entertainment, right? And yeah. Vegas, entertainment capital of the world. So there was there's literally construction projects there on a halt, like building skeleton buildings, wow. sitting there with no equipment around, and just pause, you know, the recession, you know, it was crazy. So I went down there, I lived with my aunt and uncle, and I started training at Andrew Silva's gym. And um, from there, they, they there was no, and again, entertainment got cut out, so there was no fights around Vegas. I mean, and I, and I was under the impression most people had that, oh, Vegas will have all kinds of pro fights. It's Vegas, right? But they don't. It's it's all... So in you, terms of economic downturn, no? Definitely not. And even when the economy's good, there's no pro fights other than the UFC, because... People aren't gonna pay to watch a fight that's not the UFC. Anything right? other than that is yeah. worthless. There's amateur fights, but yeah. amateurs have less pressure on the commission. Amateur, you can stack 15 kind of fights on the card and um, not have to pay any of them. And uh, the the amateur fighters will sell tickets and get commission off the tickets. So um, they 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 have free marketing, free sales people. They have free fighters. They just need to provide all the other things. And then the commission's a little more lax because they, they have special blood rules and stuff, like they can't bleed and stuff like that, and whatever. But um, So there's amateur fights, but there's no pro fights. So I go there, I'm looking for a fight, and I'm kind of like flabbergasted at the point. Like the best training in the world is in Vegas. You know, that I, I felt, you know, like I want to train with Vandalay Silva in his gym. And, but then, like, for, Vandalay was doing business with uh, EFC at the time, like doing advertising and stuff like that. And, but they said, hey, do you guys have any lightweight fighters that could fight, you know, um, Winslow Mills? And they're like, we'll, we'll ask around. And at that point, I was like, coming off of three losses, I never fought at lightweight before. I never fought, you know, I never fought, never cut weight before. So you were at welterweight just because you didn't have to cut? Yeah, in Alaska, we really really didn't cut. And even in the beginning, in, in, a, in what was it called? In the EFC, not very many people were cutting. At that time, in point in time the cut wasn't super popular right yeah. now like it's saying that's a whole nother can of worms but um so i i so i go yeah if i win is it and they're like well you know 10 days short notice as well short notice come up three losses um but but granted you got to keep in mind all i was I, I wasn't drinking i wasn't you know you had a healthy body to work with yeah i i, I wasn't working i was living off my savings and i wasn't socializing i was like waking up Training, taking a nap, training again, going to bed, yeah. just doing that every day. Like it was my job to train because I, I was determined to show everybody that I am not washed up. You know, just because I got my face smashed by Ryan Ford and my teeth are numb from a kick in my face, that's not. You know, that doesn't show who I am. Still but in I, your young twenties, though. Yeah, I'm like, tw- uh, I'm about twenty six, mid twenties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I'm still pissing vinegar, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, buddy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I get this call, and I'm like, sure, let's do it. So me and... Uh, South where? So yeah, South Africa. I let to look it up on like, Google that stuff. Um, and I and I show up, and I find out, dude, this is the Coca-Cola Dome. There's like 7,000 people. This is huge, you know what I mean? And I'm fighting like, I'm a big, like cards that look bigger than some UFC fights, yeah. right? And so like I'm 
freaking out. And my confidence is super low because I haven't won a fight in over you know, years. You know what I mean? Yeah. though, that is what a mindset. So, but but I come in on the scale and I'm shredded, right? Like I'm I'm in shape. I'm shredded. I'm 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 in shape like I did an eight week camp, and uh, you know the odds were way against me. Like if you bet on me, you would have made some money. Um, because I went in and I ended up getting the submission from Wenzel, uh, first round. And I literally, like, it was, I, I literally get up and I'm like, oh my God, like, I, I sunk in this, my confidence is so low at that point. And I, and I was training my butt off and for whatever reason, I couldn't get my confidence back. So I had three losses, man. The yeah. last one I got devastated. And, 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 uh, although I was prepared, I remember sinking in the choke, it was locked in. And the thought that went through my head, I was like, huh, I wonder how I was going to get out of this. Like you are surely gonna get out of this. I wonder what you Like you were watching somebody else doing that. Yeah, I was like, Oh, this guy's gonna get out and then all of a sudden he tapped and I'm jumping around the cage. I'm like, Holy crap and they the, they they asked me, How do you feel, Peyton Big Money? And I go, uh, that, that was the first time I found a Roman can I hit the iron claw. <laughs> I hit the iron claw. But they how do you feel? And I go, This is great, I haven't won a fight in years. That's literally what I said for seven thousand people, and they didn't put that in the broadcast. They broadcast like, no, cut that out. <laughs> I mean, no, like, put that in. Yeah, yeah. Like, I haven't won it. Like, hopefully they get that. But I was like, Shh, you know, I haven't won a fight in years. I won for seven thousand people, and that that was basically the rebirth of the pain train. That was the that was the moment. Version that, two point That that okay. Here I am. Here I am, motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like this is who I am. Yeah. You were either seeing it. Like I knew who I was at a heart. But um, I was matched terrible fights in the beginning. My training, like, as I was taking losses out of my gym in Anchorage, like, I feel like I was less looked at. Like, oh, you know, 5-0. and Hey, Dave, you're 5-0. and Good job. Yeah, you're doing great. You take the first, like, eh, I don't know, dude. Oh, oh, you took another loss. Yeah, maybe this isn't for you. You know, we're focused on the other dudes winning. You know what I mean? But at the gym, I feel like I wasn't looked at, you know. So But you were in boxing. Right. With right. three losses straight, you wouldn't be looked at. That's Boom. your career over. Yeah, yeah. The coaches don't care. Right. I'm not an investment anymore. No. But like I was just pissed. I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm gonna make this happen. Right. And so I uh I got that win and I and I and then I won a couple more fights and then, and then I started mark marketing myself and trying to reach out to different promotions just trying just trying to find fights so you yeah. were emailing each promotion saying hey i'm a fighter here's my record yep get me something yep i would talk to every person i got my hands on like if i learned somebody from a different state i would say hey do you know any promotions out there that can fly me out and whatever i mean nobody was doing it for me i did it all myself right like like i was lucky to have like a, a fight come across the desk at the office to get things started you know but as i got experience and as i uh you know, met more people in Vegas that come in and out or whatever. I networked and I had business cards and I gave them business cards. I, I added promoters on my Facebook. Uh, like, I worked hard to get fights. Like, that was my purpose. That was my goal. People say, tend to think, oh, I'm a good fighter. I'm just going to sit back and wait and, and, and try to get fights and, and, and bitch and complain and whine and, oh, I don't know to fight. Dude, yeah, I got to go out there and make it happen. If you want success in life, you make that success happen. Go you grab, grab it. it. You, just, you grab it. You take it. You know, I, I, I get irritated when I see people who, you know, I'm prepared. I'm a really good fighter. You know, like, dude, who cares? If nobody knows about you, who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, you are going to, you know, you have to, you have to market yourself. You have to get your name out there. You have to um, communicate with those people and get on their cards. That's what I had to do. You know, like, it's, it just, 
the way it was. So then between that first EFC experience that you had and the next, was there a bit of a gap? Yeah, because they were EFC Africa then, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and and so they just, they needed a, they, they were kind of dabbling with the idea of international athletes and they needed that fight to happen. So they decided to invest in, in a foreign athlete and um, they were doing business with Vandalay, so they brought me in. Um, and then after that, they, they're like, they kept at EFC Africa for a while, but when they branded themselves worldwide, you know, so, so in between that, I, I, did, I was just hustling, fighting fights. And again, because I was going in to fight a hometown hero, I would have a, an amazing performance someplace, right? I would beat a guy that I wasn't supposed to beat. You know, I'm, you know some, some performances were just unlooked at. They, they weren't seen ever again because I would go in and beat the hometown guy and uh, or I'd lose, you know, and I have a couple losses along the road, but you know, and they'd be like, "All right, see you, pain train. Thanks, appreciate it," you know. And I wouldn't be brought back. I wasn't built up. They wouldn't try to promote me. They wouldn't use me to headline a card, but you know. Because you were the opponent. I was the opponent. Yeah. I was the guy that was supposed to lose. Yeah. Um. So again, coming back, you know, having the EFC bringing me back more than once for a fight, having the opportunity to. Um, build up myself as a fighter inside an organization inside of an audience this is why i really appreciate people who are fans this is why i appreciate people because 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 the fans without fans we wouldn't be making any money without fans we wouldn't have a stage to fight on and i feel like uh, as a guy who who didn't have fans for a long time maybe close friends or whatever i don't i didn't have a, a, a consistent audience to perform in front of you know, a lot of my years fighting were left unnoticed because nobody was watching because I was the guy that was supposed to lose and I was lose and I was shipped off yeah. to not fight again. Um, in in uh, in the EFC, they're matching me fairly and they're matching me well. You know, and giving me an opportunity to to speak to to, to fans and they're giving me an opportunity to to fight more than once. So now. When I'm on a card, like, oh, I saw that guy fight before. Oh, this guy was at that fight when he did this and that. Instead of being like, oh, who's this guy? If I have a good performance there, they, they have the opportunity to see me again, which is how you build uh, build a, a following. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the thing I was doing before wouldn't build a following. I wanted more than anything because I would, I would hit these promoters back up. You know, after I fight, hey, can I fight there again? You know, you got anything? No, just no bro. Or... Like, I saw, I'll give you a call. Oh, oh. Then they go, oh, oh, I got a week's notice. You want to fight this dude that never lost? And you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I know, you know, and I'll be out of, you know, I wouldn't be out of shape, but I wasn't, you know, it's like, oh, and we'll pay you like nothing, you know? <laughs> we'll pay for your travel and maybe, you know, a little bit of money. You, you know, it's like, Got you some food coupons for Denny's. Right, right. You know, and so like I would get offers like that, and but but rarely would a would a promotion have me fight for more than once in front of their audience. Well, that's the thing is like you've come back. How many fights have you had in Cape Town now? Uh, I had a uh, Tusu. Uh, I've, I've had three. Three. Yeah. And your popularity seems to be jumping every single time you announce the card on a Cape Town card. Right. And that's just the investment in you from the EFC's point of view is that mm -hmm. you might have come here as an opponent back in the day yes. on short notice, turned yeah. out you won, but as soon as they opened their borders to trade with international athletes, right. you were the first guy on the list kind of thing, and they right. just kept bringing you back. Right. And now yeah. you're growing, are you growing a bigger following in South Africa than you are oh, in America? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm looked at 
I mean, around my peers and everything, yeah, Dave's a fighter or whatever, but like if you walk around in Vegas or if I go around anywhere, I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a trainer. I'm like, I'm just Dave. You know what I mean? I'm here. I'm Dave. The pain training is on. I mean, I guess I have like pro wrestling crowds in, in Vegas. I, I do some pro wrestling. And, and so, like, I'm known as a pro wrestler. So, I've got some guys, I've literally had guys come into my MMA gym and say, Dave, oh, oh my gosh, I, I watched you pro wrestle. You're this pro wrestler guy, man. That was great, you know. But not really knowing that I'm a fighter, yeah. you know. So, um, I don't you know. were a fighter first before you were a pro wrestler. Yeah, kind of. We had did backyard wrestling when I was in high school. Now, so. please tell me how you got into <laughs> pro wrestling because backyard wrestling, yeah, is some of the best YouTube footage you'll ever see right. in your life. Okay, well, so so rewind to you know high school and whatever like and, and again when i was really young and kid in the 80s i was a hulkamaniac you know i was watching the old wwf brand you know with jake the snake and and uh who later on in life which is crazy with jake the snake he died of an ob no no he's, he's still alive is he still alive no he yeah he, he had was, a drug problem though yeah and then he you can see a documentary of him cleaning up ddt helped him out uh, yeah the right resurrection of jason jake the snake and now he's well it's kind of cool he's been on I've wrestled on cars. He Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas, baby. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and he also has his own yoga system now. DDP Yoga. Wow. Ooh. But, <laughs> but um, so uh, so so w- w- funny thing is like now I've got the opportunity to wrestle on cars that Jake the Snake was on. Oh wow. Right? In Vegas, and he I did a seminar with him, and it's just like kind of crazy, like how everything's coming full circle. But like, so the Hulkamaniac back in the day, and you know, like old school pro wrestling. I was a little kid. You know, watching it, and then the Attitude Era was while I was in high school. The Attitude Era being Stone Cold, and uh, the, when The Rock was on the scene, and and you know Triple H, and yeah. that, that whole crew, the Degeneration X. Suck it, remember that Degeneration X? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Everybody's walking around going, "Suck it." <laughs> <You> remember, <laughs> like uh, all that, and uh, and again, being yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. So you know, I get and now I get to meet some of those wrestlers. Don't you know come through Vegas, but um. So anyways, during that era, my buddy, well, actually a guy, Jack Manley, who, uh, that's his real name, by the way. His real name is Jack Manley. Oh, my God. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> and so my, so me and my brother were, like, into wrestling. My brother was, was into it way more. My brother used to trade tapes with Jack Manley because there was a lot of, you couldn't just go on YouTube and watch wrestling, right? You, you have to, like, so we, we studied uh, tapes from, we studied the, the American brands, but we watched uh, Japan. There's, yeah. There's, Great wrestling in Japan back then. Um, Luchador? No, well, Luchadors, that's a uh, Mexican style wrestling. But did you watch any of that kind of stuff? No, I wasn't really into Lucha. Like, like, like Lucha was never a, uh, it's kind of like, their style is kind of weird. A lot of flips and weird stuff. Like, J- Japan, they midgets. had, yeah, they, 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 they just, yeah, little, little people. Yeah, I don't know, uh, small people, I don't know, dwarf. <laughs> dwarf, I think dwarf is worse. Can't say that. Um, but, um, yeah, they had the hard style. So, so J- Japan had had hard style wrestling, which is or strong style, which is basically a little more stiff on their strikes. They would emulate uh, like, and there was different styles within different promotions in Japan. So, some would be like a lot of hardcore matches, you know, where like Mick Foley and and uh, and uh, uh, Terry Funk and stuff got popular. Mm, yeah, you know, the death matches, and then but then there's uh, really technical wrestling, which you know guys like. Uh, uh, Jericho, you saw Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit. Um, Greatest intro to the time, Dean, by the way. Who? Chris Jericho. Oh, yeah. I love that. Mm, Y2J. I love that. But, uh, you know, like, there, there's a lot of real technical, like, 
wrestling there. And then there was like Chris Strong. Benoit as well. Oh yeah, he was very technical there. He Wasn't was, that guy like super NCAA style level of wrestling? I uh, no, no, he was he was he, he, but he would do like he would do kind of like technical groundwork. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was that was that was Eddie Guerrero and stuff like that, you know. Him and Eddie Guerrero have like killer matches, right? But um that was like a lot of WCW. But you know, um so they'd have that and they would also have like the, the hard style where they would like just lay forms and snug, you know, and throw kicks and, and they would kinda do MMA stuff too. Yeah. You know. So so we were into that as well. Also watching the, the American product. But anyway, so um, my brother and I, we, we met Jack, and Jack knew inside school, and my brother would trade tapes with Jack. And um, then we knew this guy named Mac, <laughs> which he wrestled under the name Black. Mac he, Black? But he, no, his name was Black. Okay. But he was there wearing all white. Oh, wow. Clever. <laughs> Unmistakable. So, yeah, 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 right. And so, so, but, but, anyways, and I was like, I don't know, we, 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 but, but, but Mac had a ring in his backyard. They, they, him and his dad and stuff. They constructed. They built one. I had ropes. So they instead had, of a treehouse, this guy got a wrestling. Yeah, we, we had suspension in the middle of our ring. We actually like there's old wrestling match mats in the back of our high school. We snagged them. <laughs> Cut them up and stuck them in a ring. Put a canvas over it, and we could take back bumps and run ropes, and we could run full on matches. So we kind of trained ourselves how to wrestle, and we weren't doing hardcore stuff. We were doing like we were trying to emulate guys like you know Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. So you'd see what they're doing, and then you hit the backyard and try and recreate the same scenario yourself. Yeah. So we're trying to work ring psychology, technical wrestling, and 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 and, uh, and stuff like that. And again. and then there was a local Fed in Alaska, and, and believe it or not, there was actually two Feds, and they had rivalries in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was kind of silly. You know, they would like, run, like there's territories in Alaska. Come on, bro. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> so we ended up wrestling, you know. Like, Black bears I, own everything, so shut the fuck up. Right, right you know. Um, and so we ended up kind of joining our little crew, joined with the local Fed, and we would, you know, I, I would referee a lot. I wouldn't do... You know, because I was in a, I was really serious about my high school sports. I didn't want to get injured, but I would train with them at a ref. And my brother ended up being the Alaska tag team champion, Matt the pretty, Matt the pretty boy Floyd, and the sweet sugar stud Sean Summers. And together they were the new age rockers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. They would come up with leopard print and like tassels and eighties hair bands. You oh know? my god. Yeah. And so wardrobes like, must have been amazing in your house. <laughs> Right. Well, that was a thing. Like when we were young, like my, they would be spring break at school. My parents would be at work, and so we'd like set up. Like we would like have my buddy film, and we would like do a wrestling match in the living room, and you know we were like doing silly things like that as growing up. So like that was just the thing as creative outlet yeah. that we we enjoyed. And so fast forward my my uh, to my you know Alaska career. Like I was in Vegas. Well, I was in Vegas, and like this is like maybe post. EFC 5, I was in Vegas, I came back home for the summer, and just randomly, my buddy Jack, who he later on went down to do the uh, indie scene down in lower 48, like in Florida and, and, and Southern California. Are you talking like about that. pro wrestling indie scene? Yeah, yeah, so he, he went to the Noki Dojo in Southern California, Antonio Noki's a, a famous pro wrestler. He, he, he saw fought Muhammad pride. Ali. Yep, yep, he fought Muhammad Ali. Yeah, that was like the very first crossover like, fight like that yeah. anybody'd ever had. Yeah. 
Yeah. So McGregor Mayweather wasn't number one. It was Anoki and yep. Muhammad Ali. Yep. They had a bunch of weird rule sets and stuff like that. But yeah, um, Muhammad had to wear his gloves, and Anoki had wrestling boots and uh, yeah, no gloves. And there were specific rule sets, like he, he couldn't kick him standing. He only kick on the ground. That's why you saw Anoki like falling to the ground and kicking him. Um, it, it, so they had this weird rule set, or whatever. Yeah. But but my, so my brother, or so so Jack wrestled at Noki because he's famous in Japan like he uh is actually a big big so Noki would be on the like sidelines at pride events right he was well respected by everybody because like there's almost this weird crossover of pro, pro wrestling and mixed martial arts but there's also a very real skill set that can be used in either sport successfully yeah so, so like you get respect for that yeah the, the, well in pro wrestling in Japan you needed to have a shoot they they, they, they respect and they want people to shoot backgrounds shoot fighting meaning real fighting Okay. Right. So they'll, they'll so they want their pro wrestlers to really be fighters. And, and and granted, back in the day, in the eighties and in the nineties, pro wrestling needed to be protected. So the guys who wrestled were like legit badasses, right? Yeah. Like they were like old football players, wrestlers and stuff, and they would be a challenge about like about the legitimacy of wrestling. Like, oh your wrestling's fake and they would beat the shit out of them, right? Like they would they would fight people. They would have they would get approached all the time and these dudes really had to fight people all the time. So pro wrestling, even those guys were kind of like, they would look fat and out of shape. They were badasses, dude. Like yeah. Hacksaw Jim, Jim Duggan would fuck you up. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so, but Japan still had that culture. They wanted their guys to be legit. Now, and, and still like a lot of the, and this is like ta- having conversations with guys like Josh Burnett who wrestles, Josh Burnett who wrestles in Japan. He's a former UFC heavyweight champion. Um, he, um, he, he's really, adamant about rep pro wrestlers being shooters too meaning mma fighters real or fights yeah they, they, they should they should at least be trained there because you know if you're in a fake fight you should know how to really fight here's but, the thing is like and a lot of people in this country will not give any kind of respect towards you for doing wrestling pro wrestling yeah but holy shit yeah is it as hard on your body as it is anywhere else in a very heavy contact sport? Because it looks like, okay, you got the sprung ring. Right. But your body is banging against something and stopping at a high velocity. Right. Yeah. I mean, was, and it's doing it a lot. Right. It must kill you. Yeah. It's it's so, the, the way I can describe wrestling is like, yeah, it's 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 scripted and whatever. And, and, and you know, you got to know these techniques and everything. But it's it's like it's I, I it's acting right it's, it's acting there's a there's a there's a fine fine art you gotta you have to captivate an audience with your movement but there's right? very real physical punishment no, that you go through absolutely yeah there is and the thing is like one match or two matches especially if you make it safe you know you, you'll survive and you'll be fine but the thing is is if you're an active pro wrestler you want to wrestle as often as you can so you might be going every weekend right you're on the road and, yeah on the road and if you're like the WWE. For example, you're on the road 300 days out of the year. 300 days out of the year, they're on the road and they're wrestling SmackDown, they're wrestling Raw, they're wrestling pay-per-views, they're wrestling house shows. Every weekend, basically. More than every weekend. They're wrestling multiple times a week, right? So if you're contracted with the WWE, you're wrestling all the time. So so, so say, for example, you have an injury, right? Um, Say say you have an injury because your finisher does a certain thing, right? So say maybe Stone Cold... You do the stone cold stunner where you kick you in the butt and land on his ass and hit you with the stunner, right? Um, say you hurt your tailbone. Well, you still gotta do the stunner. You, you can't train around the stunner. You gotta keep doing your finisher, 
right? So you kind of continuous, continuously, continuously keep hurting this thing. And that's and where the Bakken comes in. That and that's where, yeah, that's where they start getting hooked on painkillers, and and that that's where the addiction can start consuming you. I mean, I I really think there's a lot more awareness in the pro wrestling circles, and um, and especially WWE is like trying to. Have a little more wellness than usual. Than well, before. the guys were starting to drop like flies. It right. he was Guerrero and Chris Benoit right. within years of each other. Right. He died similarly, and it's always heart attacks. Yeah, heart attacks, and 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 you know, and then for somebody like Benoit, like a lot of brain trauma. And then he and shot himself after killing his wife. He he hung himself he with hung it, himself with there. with his cable machine. You know, like uh, yeah, but and and then they they attributed that to like a lot of steroid use. But I mean, this dude suffered. You know, multiple concussions. Yeah, yeah. Like you would, you know, like puking from a concussion could perform the next day and still be doing flying headbutts from the top rope. You know, so like he's endured countless concussions. That doesn't serve your mental well-being very well. Not right? at all. No, and, no. You know, the, of course, I'm sure all the chemicals he put in his body and everything didn't help. Swallowing but, it down with Jack Daniels. Yeah, well, he wasn't much of a drinker, from what I from what I understood. You know what I mean? Um, that that is one of the most tenacious and, and dedicated and, and hardest working guys from what I've heard in the business. I mean, it was unfortunate that he had to go down and, and finish his career the way he did, mm. finish his life the way he did. It was very unfortunate. But uh, Razor Ramon's another one. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've a, seen some documentary of him. Yeah, that, he can barely put a sentence together or stand up on his own right. steam. And he was in he was in the uh, the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. He was a part of that. Yeah. Check that out. I think it's on it's on Netflix in the U.S. I don't know if it's on Netflix here. But, um, and they, he was fully hooked to what he was. I think he was snacking thirty Vicodins a day right. at some stage. Yeah, yep, mm. yep, yep. Kurt Kurt Angle was talked openly about that in one of one of the podcasts with. Uh, I think it was popping Chip. them like Skittles. Yep, you know? yep, yep. That's that. That's one of the things that was. Yeah, that's a part of the addiction. And then you know, well, and then back in the day, think about back in the eighties. You're traveling. You know, there's no social media and stuff. You can get away with doing whatever you want. So you're, you're part, under the radar. You're, you're you're under the radar. You can party and there's nobody's taking selfies and Snapchats of you. Yeah. And, you know, you can party and do all this crazy stuff. And you know, I'm sure audience members were wanting to hang out with you, giving you drugs oh, or whatever. Yeah. So their lifestyle was pretty nuts. You didn't pay right? for a single drink in that bar when you went into the restaurant no, on the road. Not no, a chance. You're not paying for drinks. You're not paying for drugs. Chicks were throwing themselves at you. Right, right, and you get to leave town. So. So, so that that part of the lifestyle was really hard for those guys, and that's part of the reason. And and the, and the physical lifestyle of being in the ring all the time, you know. Um, when did they find time to go to the gym? That and that's a thing. I think uh, it, it, I, I don't know. It, it's it was tough. I know, like the WWE, you know, they they have traveling things going. Like they have ways now. You know, even like there's guys like superstars like Randy Orton. You know, I guess he's like one of the people that will take really good care of himself and. He'll have a travel on a bus instead of a plane so he can go to sleep on time, do all his rehab exercises on his bus when somebody drives him. You know, like their physical well being is something that's being more uh, looked at because also the standard of wrestling, the things that they're they're kind of needing to do to get over is like increased. You can't, you know, work a headlock for five minutes like you used to and, and get the crowd over. Um, I, I think you can. I think it's a hard. A lot of the old school guys will really criticize any any wrestlers because they want to get over by jumping off the top rope, and um, and and so they don't work on their showmanship. They don't work on their uh, the crowd presence, their their connection with the crowd. They're just doing moves and hoping people enjoy it, um, which has been fortunate for me as a pro wrestler because I need to protect my MMA career. I'm not going to get hurt jumping off the top rope and, and um, skirts, you know, like yeah, and so. 
Then my, my finisher is the iron claw where I grab your head and they die, right? Oh, you know, so, yeah, so, so like I, I have a very safe finisher. I have, a, I have, I, I put together matches that I'm not doing dangerous moves. So this allows me the opportunity to work on my showmanship, work on my presence with the crowd, reacting to things, um, making eye contact with people. Yeah. You know, before I punch somebody, you aren't just punching them. You're just throwing a quick punch. You'll grab the guy, you'll look around maybe, and then like put up your fist and people, yeah, give him the shot. Boom, and then they sell, <laughs> right? So that's way different than just tagging them and having them get hurt, right? So there's a way to do things. There's a specific way to do things to make yourself over. There's a specific way to do things to make a good pro wrestling match. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, like if you look at Jake the Snake, for example, the dude had like three moves. He would like throw a few punches. He'd do a short arm close. GET short arm clothesline. Let's go home. So like he was and one he of the guys. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a snake as a prop, right? To like scare the guy with, right? So the so maybe this whole psychology was getting of a guy in the corner scared of a snake and oh shoot what's and then and then like this the, the having a the having a thing like it creates an illusion. Dude, there's there's this bag. What's in this bag? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, what's in the bag? I, what, I hope he pulls out a thing in the bag. The dude's scared of something in the bag. What's in the bag? And then when he rips out the thing in the bag, it's awesome. Yeah. Right. And then when if he just threw a snake in the ring, he's like, oh, it's a snake. Crazy. Now, do you, know? you see like okay? So you got Brock Lesnar who went to the UFC, right. won the UFC Heavyweight Championship, right. went back after losing in the UFC to WWE. Well, he was in the WWE first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. From pro wrestling to, to UFC, back to WWE. Right. Is popularity, as well as dragging fans from UFC back to WWE necessary? Did, did that skyrocket as a result of that move? And then the other part of the question is, if that move creates the popularity and creates the crossover appeal, right? do you see any wrestlers, pro wrestlers who are currently in WWE capable of jumping into an octagon? And performing, right. other than Bobby Lashley, because mm, right, you know how many steroids that guy's on at any one particular time. And yeah. I heard that he he does cage fighting on right. Indian Reserve, so he doesn't have to get tested or some right. shit like that. But are there guys capable of stepping over from right. WWE successfully into octagon style fighting? Right, and it, it, it's it's one of those things that are apples and oranges, man. Pro wrestling. And 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 uh, mixed martial arts are apples and oranges. You you cannot help. I, I I like in my life. I I cannot help but to respect somebody that's an upper echelon of any field, right? Yeah. Like if somebody's the best billiards player in the world, I'm gonna have respect for them because they put in their time, they put in the effort, they had a passion for something, and they killed it, right? They're 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 at the upper echelon, you know. Whatever your you know top poker players, they put in time, they put in work, you know. So. Just to say, like, oh man, WWE guys are pussies. You know, that's that's ignorant. Oh, it's so it's fucking yeah. ignorant, dude. Yeah. And I and, and it drives me crazy to, you know, whatever. You know, and they aren't trying to be tough guys. They're trying to entertain people yeah. for their living. They 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 do something positive, right? They they create entertainment for people. Create a diversion know? from your boring goddamn life. Right, right. And you can live vicariously through them. I I put pro wrestling in the same category as a movie. People, people go, oh, man, but you know, pro wrestling's fake. I'm like, bro, it's have you watched The Terminator? Did you know that 
Did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a cyberkinetic being that can travel through space and time? He's actually a governor. No, <laughs> no he, like, he's actually a person, right? He's yeah. like a real person or he's whatever. He's actually a governor. <laughs> yeah, he's not a governor. He's not the governator anymore. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like he, you know, it, it's, it's quote-unquote fake, but so is everything else that entertains you. Even mixed martial arts, it's fake. It's not real. What pain train? You're not really fighting. Yeah, we're really fighting in there. But like all the talk, all the uh, media stuff you see, that's all. That, that's all stuff that's like what they choose to put in the editing monster, right? That's what they choose to like have you see. You guys don't see me in my apartment, like watching, you know, Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah, eating Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't see me doing that. <laughs> you know, like you don't see me. You know, like barbecuing with my friends and, and yeah. whatever you don't see me you know teaching my classes they don't at, see at you 8 p.m david they only see you as the yeah. which yeah. is fine like i'm creating a character as i fight and, and not like i try to be as authentic as i can in interviews and on the camera and stuff like that but at the end of the day you know if you really know me you really know me and and the only way to really know me is, is hang out and you know have a good time with me which you know that's that's rare you know even when i'm out having a good time that's not really me like there's a few there's like only only my, my girlfriend and probably one of my coaches probably know actually what I went through my parents don't even know they don't they those are the only two people that know what I went through training for this fight mm. right that, that's coming up on April 9th UFC 63 <laughs> Aaron Cape Town the Grand Western Arena but you know what I mean? September, September, yeah whatever <laughs> he's a fighter I got drain damage <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so um but those guys, like, cause, cause my coach Tim Lane, he, um, I'm, 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 he's a great boxing coach. But I was like showing him our system at True Fusion, you know, my, with a place where I teach boxing. He's seen the what it takes to teach those classes. Cause I'm, I'm entertaining people. I have loud music. I have a microphone. I'm making boxing entertaining and fun to do while moving kettlebells at the same time. I have a studio full of 35 people inside one room, and I'm rocking it. You know what I mean? And so I'm doing classes in three different studios. I'm, I'm uh, doing privates. And so Coach Tim Lane, he sees me teaching. He's, he's, he knows. He's seen every bit of work I put in on the mat. Um, you know, Dennis Davis knows all the work I put in on the mat and stuff. But people don't truly know what I've gone through to get here. And um, even and my girlfriend sees me leave and leave at 8 o'clock in the morning and come home at 9 o'clock at night, not coming home and just packing a lunch and doing my thing. And being exhausted, you know, on the motorcycle because my car broke down and it's like 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Convert that on yourself, Siri. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and, and it's hot and I'm sweating and you know what I mean? Like, only a few people know what I'm really going through. You can't illustrate it in a, in a three-minute video hyping up the fight. And that's just the end of the day. Like, MMA is fake. MMA is absolutely fake. Reality shows are fake when you watch, you know, the ultimate fighter or the fighter coming out, right? You watch the fighter coming out, UFC. Um, do you like those plugs? You're welcome, Graham and Cairo. <laughs> yeah, go watch the fighter. Watch the fake reality show. But it's like all fake. It's all what they choose to to edit and put you on your screen and see what you're doing. Um, you know, but it's entertainment. Like I'm not saying don't watch it. Watch it, but realize it's not the real person. Whatever they choose to have you see, and it might be a good thing and it might be a bad thing. Yeah. You know, for the individual, and it might be a good thing for the sport. It might be a bad thing for a sport, but we're we're just people, man, and and you know we're put in a public eye, and whatever light 
the editor editing monster wants to put us in, and we're put whatever light we choose to betray us ourselves as when we get a camera shoved in our face and a microphone. Well, just look at it like this. Nobody puts up a picture of them having a shit time on Facebook. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Instagram? No. No, no. It's, it's always good Fucking stuff. Annoying couples who keep putting their photos up. Show me one of you guys fighting. Yeah. For fuck's sake. Sh sh yeah. Show me. Sh yeah. <laughs> Show me the bad times. You, you, take, you take a big shit, forget the flush, and you walk in on it and be like, Bingo. I thought my girlfriend doesn't poop. Which, which, <laughs> which I'm fortunate my girlfriend does not poop, you know? Like, really? She doesn't poop. She, yeah, she, it's rainbows and marshmallows and stuff like that. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, I love her. <laughs> yeah, so she she uh, she doesn't poop. So uh, sorry, everybody else. I'm, I'm fortunate they get a girlfriend who doesn't poop. But uh, anyways, um, back to pro wrestling. What a pro wrestler... Coming. So yeah, Brock Lesnar. He had he had an extensive NCAA. He was top level. Background. He was top level NCAA and wrestler. Big motherfucker. He was a genetic freak. I mean, regardless of like you know whether you know of him taking steroids and stuff like that. If you look at him in high school, he still had that giant blocky head. Yeah. Humongous dude. He was built for him. He is built to be a truck. Yeah. He had the biggest MMA gloves ever in the UFC. Him and Shane Carwin, I believe Shane Carwin is massive. And it's crazy because I, I remember looking at, um, in my gym, uh, uh, big country Roy Nelson. He's a heavyweight. And he I looked at his gloves. I'm like, damn, those are huge. I'm like, how big was Brock's gloves, man? Like, giant mailboxes punching your face. Yeah. Right? So... So and that, that that was a thing when he went to the WWE originally. You're like that guy is a freak, and he could like and he was athletic. He could move like a lightweight at heavyweight, right? Like he would inside the wrestling ring. He he was doing a shooting star press at house shows. That's the one way he like broke it down. That's when you would stay on the top rope, face away from the ring, so you're facing the crowd. And you do a, a backflip onto somebody and you know, do a splash. Yes. I, mean, I think I've seen that. He pulled yeah. it out in one of the major WWE pay-per-views, yeah. like yeah. a WrestleMania or something. It was a WrestleMania like moment. He wanted to get that big WrestleMania moment. Thought he would get himself over by doing a big high spot, which he did a few of them in house shows. There's some video of that, like the Brock Lesnar shooting star press. But the one at WrestleMania, he... He knocked himself out and was like out on his feet. Yeah, remember I remember wrestling. that. He doesn't remember the wrestling match. He finished the match. He doesn't remember it. You know, oh, shit. and so so yeah, like like the, so that dude is athletic, right? So when he went to the scene, and again, he's another guy that people would like shit on and not give respect, right? Like, you know, they're like, oh, he's a you know, he went back to the WWE because he can't handle, you know, he's not a, a real MMA fighter. I'm like, bro, he won the UFC heavyweight title against veterans. With under ten fights, yeah. Are you kidding me? Like that, like if if that's not somebody who really knows how to fight, I don't know what is knows or is gifted for it, right? Like there's a lot of people with gifts that whatever, but he he deserves some some type of respect, right? He deserves and, tons of respect. You know, I mean, and, and and again, like I say, anybody who steps in to the squared circle is successful. Anybody who steps into the uh, the octagon or the hexagon or any cage. You know, and, and trains hard to get to the upper echelon. You deserve respect. Right? I'll tell you what fight I want to see next. What's that? Brock Lesnar. Yeah. John Jones. Same oh, yeah. drugs. Yep, yep. No. Same drugs. Give Ch them the same drugs and let them do it. Or or choose your own drug. You know, like go to the buffet line, whatever drug you want. Get juiced up. Boom. And let them yeah. do it. 
go ahead, John Jones, power lift, eat all the horse meat, you know, <laughs> boom, you know, and, and yeah, that, that would be, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Bats of this weekend coming up, it's UFC yeah. 63 on Saturday night, and it's Timber Garimbo that you're fighting, yeah. you know that, but yeah, what is the rest of your week looking like going into fight night, like? We went and did a yoga session today. Yeah, yeah. Got a little stretch out, got right. a little bit of zen, got a little bit of balance, ate right. a nice salad. But I imagine from tomorrow things look a little bit more serious. Right. Yesterday, yeah. So, so yesterday I did like a, you know, uh, I, I got my heart rate up. I finally was feeling okay from the jet lag. Uh, I got did, did some circuits and stuff on the air, on the assault bike, and I did, a, uh, you know, a little bit of bag work, and you got my heart rate way, way up, and Again, I stretched out this morning. We did some yoga, and again, that 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 is creating the yin and the yang, right? And, and I noticed too on my training camp when I would, you know, go five hard rounds of sparring and stuff, and then I would go breathe and stretch out and, and lay on the mat. Like it's good to get that balance in your life, and all on all forms of life, you need you need you, you need intense things and you need things to relax. Yeah. Like so, um, again, yoga is something that has been inside. Um, uh, a lot of fighters practices right like so you know like again at, at, at true fusion where i work at I, I run kettlebells suspension training i run a lot of fitness stuff uh boxing I, i've helped design that program and helping like some teaching teacher frame training program um <clears throat> also obviously we have yoga, your yoga base but like we create boxing for them and then we have yin yoga you know but over there we see uh you know the diaz brothers they they when they come in town they practice there um, I've seen uh, the Mayweather is shown on, on his all access building the 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 the, uh, the uh, fight against McGregor. Yeah. Uh, Mayweather was in our studio. Um, I know Gray Maynard was in was inquiring me about going to do some yoga over there. Um, that's just to name a few. Um, a lot of major fighters have noticed that yoga has helped them out, like flexibility and stuff like that. It absolutely works. Yeah, I noticed it myself. Right, and Joe Rogan. I'm not a fighter. I'm just a I'm just a casual guy who likes to keep in shape, and I like boxing. But three months of yoga has sorted my balance issues out, like right. count, and I feel right. like a new person. So yoga is definitely the thing to be doing if you're into fighting. Right, into fighting, weightlifting, doing whatever you need. Like if you have something super intense, you need to breathe and, yeah. and stretch. Got to balance it out with something else. Yeah. So 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 um, I, I plan on. Continuing that throughout the week, maybe hitting a, a couple sessions just to keep loose. Um, and and again, again, like trying to focus on my breath and keep everything relaxed. Um, but then, you know, throughout, I'm, I'm going to get my heart rate up again a couple times. My coach is going to be here on Tuesday. And, 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 I was uh, going to ask, your team yeah. arrives on Tuesday. Is it just yeah. one or two guys? Yeah, just, just one guy. One you guy. Know? It, was, <laughs> it was kind of funny when I won the title against uh, uh, Leon Mainhart the first time. It was... Uh, I, I just came with Dennis, right? And, um, you know, because again, we have to make a huge commitment to travel here, right? It's 24 hours of travel. It's not cheap. We got jet lag. You know, they, they pay for a, a corner, which is cool, and the accommodation. But he's missing work when he, you know, live, you know, we don't, I, and I can't compensate him. I, 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 I can compensate him as much as I can, but it's not going to be like, hey, I'm going to, like, push everything to the side for yeah. a week and a half. You know, I, I can't, I, I give him, more than a, you know, I give him more than ten percent of my purse. I give him a pretty big chunk of my purse because I appreciate a coach. Yeah. And you know, I lose a lot. I mean, I don't want to lose. I invest a lot of money in a coach. You know, so him coming over late is just what I have to do. Is this Tim Lane? 
Uh, Tim Lane, uh, he's not going to make it this time, but I got uh, Dennis Davis. Okay. Um, yeah, and I want them both. Yeah. Tim Lane's my striking coach, and he's been really focusing and making sure my conditioning's on point, making sure I'm stretching. So you've been doing and, a lot uh, of hard work with them back in Vegas before you pitched up here uh, to do the right, show. So you're just right. living without them for a couple of days, and then the reinforcements yeah. arrive on Tuesday. Right, right, and then and then so Dennis Davis is the uh, he's the head coach at Extreme Couture. He's been there since um, uh, he's been a team quest back in the day where Randy Couture was. He's been training with them forever, and uh, he was there since. Extreme Couture existed, yeah. so um, he's worked his way. He's been there forever. So this guy knows mixed martial arts. He's cornered, he corners almost every weekend. You know, so in the corner, he's you know either, whether it's an amateur fight or not just UFC, it's all over. Yeah, the spectrum of yeah, he corners are amateurs. He corners UFC fighters. He, you know, and of course every fighter in the gym has their favorite corner or whatever. So like. There's a bunch of coaches, and they might take him. And it, the coaches are like, cool, whatever makes you comfortable. Yeah. You know, so I didn't bring Tim. Tim's, like, not mad. He was like, dude, I want you to win this fight. You know, if I could bring them both, I would. But I can't afford it. <laughs> can't afford nothing. Um, <laughs> so, um, but again, and, and also Dennis was in Sharknado 4. He, uh, yeah, he, he punched a shark in the face. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, him. Danny D1 Davis, um, he fights for the fight, the fight, the, the World Series of Fighting, or, yeah. you know, um, and Ryan Couture, Randy Couture's son, who I trained with quite a bit, um, I trained with Danny a little bit too, he's a little bigger, um, and then Gil, um, Gil trains at Gil's our uh, strength conditioning coach, slash he fights for the World Series of Fighting, and I think Justin James, who is like a version of me, but like a little shorter, you both have, you know, beards and like bald heads, and you kind of look the same, like, I was. I need to make a post like <laughs> with him. Like the only person that you train with is yourself. Because you know, he like looks just like if I shave myself into a beard, we look exactly the same. He's just like a little shorter, and he's he's gonna fight on the ninth as well. Um, but uh, so anyways, they are all in Sharknado, and they all fought sharks together. But um, anyway, so he's coming. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm probably gonna drill some positions and make sure like all that stuff and a lot, lot of what I'm gonna do well, a lot of what I do is mental training I go through the move set in my head um, going through scenarios um, but again I gotta spike my heart rate keep my cardiovascular system on point but again it's a lot of like and then watching the diet watching the diet a little bit you know like I'm at a catch weight so I'm not fighting as light as usual um, I guess the the uh, the Thimba doesn't want to fight at light and this is what I heard this is what uh, the promoter said, Thimba doesn't want to fight at lightweight anymore. Um, so he wanted to meet me at a catch weight. So we negotiated, I think, I believe 74 kilos or something like that. Um, so we're going to fight 74. But doesn't he yeah. fight out of the same gym as Don Madge? Yes. So what happens if he theoretically wanted to make a run at the title? Then one of them have to leave their yeah. respective gyms. And I suppose right, and there's right. your next point of how you market that. Well, uh, the, the fallouts. What, like, be, be a teammate? Yeah, that's the thing. Um, oh, yeah. Well, he's not going to fight lightweight anymore, so. Isn't he? Is he, is he yeah, on he his won, way out? I think he's going to go up the welterweight. After he's a tall guy. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see how he can make uh, welterweight more of a home than lightweight. He right. He must kill himself to make lightweight. Right. How yeah. many um how many kilos or uh, pounds, if you know, and you can convert it above uh, the lightweight limit that you're fighting at on Saturday? Uh, let me see. So it's like, uh, yeah, so it's about... uh. Four kilos. Four kilos more. Yeah. Oh wait. Yeah, four kilos more. Yeah, four kilos more. 
Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it, I still gotta like cut some water, and I've I'm, I'm walking around heavier than I normally do at this point. I actually feel really good, so I'm curious how I'm gonna feel at this weight. Um, again, there is an argument about um, you know the the weight classes right now that put in more weight classes in the oh, martial arts because there's a gap. Like there's one fit, like there's lightweight. And then there's welterweight, there's a huge gap, you know, and so they want to go like every 10 pounds, which I don't know, like kilos. But like, you know, this would be close, this would be close to a new weight class that they're talking about yeah. putting in. Um, they should do it exactly like, you know, boxing. People, like the old school boxing fans have complained right. there's too many world champions because there's mainly a lot of, like, I think, 18 weight classes in the sport. Right. But there are 18 positions for you to fill. Right. And you can make lightweight. Can you drop further to another division in MMA? Not a chance if you're making lightweight. It's yeah. really, really difficult. Yeah. Whereas boxing, you've got junior welter, welter, junior lightweight, lightweight. Right. There's fillers in between. And that's the important thing. So I think you guys, you guys, you, you kill yourselves making weight in terms right. of MMA than boxers do because boxers have got a lot more options. They have something a little more natural, right? Yeah. And there's some people that are in between lightweight and welterweight and they have a hard time. Well, once they go to welterweight, you have a Ryan Ford, Dave Mazzani situation. And the difference is five pounds <laughs> per division. Oh, is that Roughly. In boxing, boxing in, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, until you get to what? And, 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 super and the US, US it's, or, you know, in MMA, it's 10 to 15 pounds. It's huge. Like it's, you know, from, from the way down from from lightweight, it's 10 pounds. The way up, it's every 15. Then you go 155, and then 170, then 185. It's like 15 pounds up. Well, I really, up. I really hope that you guys get to experience new weight classes because, yeah. and unfortunately, it's come just at a time where, well, you might be retiring in the yeah. next couple of years, and yeah. then they'll bring me like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, fortunately, I got to fight at a few catchweights. I fought uh, catchweight at John Alessio. I think the fight against Wenzel was a little bit of a catchweight, too. But they give you um, that leniency in terms of short notice as well. Okay, fine. Yeah, or like like in the, 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 the terms of uh, fought Jen, John Alessio, who was a old-school UFC guy. Like, he fought, I mean, this dude fought bare knuckle and all kinds of stuff. And his first fight was against Pat Militich, if you put that perspective holy shit <laughs> right yeah, that's yeah. Stone Age, uh, that, that's the first one on the record but i, I yeah lee later on became one of my teammates you know it's funny i fought him when i was training at vandalays and then uh when i moved to extreme couture he was there he's retired now he's a cop in vegas now huh. but um uh which is funny because like he's going through the the, the 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 police academy and they're showing them like they're trying to do conditioning stuff, and he killed that in the <laughs> fighter. And then they're like showing him like com- like hold self defense moves. Yeah, like, really, bro. Like, <laughs> what are you guy, showing me? Let me improve your move. Yeah, this guy was like one of the most seasoned vets out there, you know. But when I fought him, we were just like, you want to fight at one sixty? Sure. You know what I mean? We we didn't want to cut so no, neither one of us wanted. Like, we both knew we made lightweight. We both knew established ourselves as lightweight. So why not fight a little heavier? And that's kind of look at this one like. You know, I know he's made lightweight before, so it's not like he's on a welterweight frame, like yeah. cutting a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, he'll be big. I'm sure it'll look like a David Goliath type uh, but you're using matchup. That. Yeah, I've, had, I've fought welterweight. I've actually fought middleweight in Australia. Holy shit. So, yeah, like, so the, the guy I beat with one arm, whatever I was talking about, that was that welterweight, uh, that middleweight, you know, and yeah, so I fought three middleweight fights in Australia and won, won them all. So I was like, and that's why my supplement sponsor, um, Fight Labs, uh, Dan Freeman, he calls me the giant killer. 
because you know he, 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 I think it's one of the biblical references, and also uh, um, he, he got to witness me in Australia, like take out these dudes who are massive, <laughs> you know, because I was literally like eating breakfast the day of weigh-ins, you know. <laughs> I love catchweights. You know, Bring me yeah, them catchweights, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it was kind of it, it was cool for the weigh-ins. I get to the fight, I'm like, God. Dang, okay. Yeah. Still fighting. Okay, cool. Was breakfast that yeah. nice? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> was it really all that worth it, man? Yeah. I mean, at the end, it ended up being all right, but yeah. man, it could have been ugly. It could have you know, been I, very ugly. So, yeah. so when I I won a I won a title in Australia, and then uh, I won a title, and then I defended it, and I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> because, you know, you got to defend the title to like really. At that weight class, like, yeah. where, there's some other killer that's going to come up just now. Right, right, I, yeah. I don't want to stick around that long to see how this ends. Yeah, exactly, you know. like it, Vacated. <laughs> exactly, like, but you after you win a title, you have to defend it to make it feel legitimate, yeah, right? Yeah, so, at least once or twice. Yeah, you know, so it's like, ah, I got I to gotta defend it. I mean, in hindsight, that was probably a silly choice, you know what I mean? I should have been like, right away, but I was like, you know, still pissed. Like, oh, I got to defend my title. And, yeah. And, I, and fortunately, I got to win, and then I won another one, you know, at a different promotion in Darwin. Australia, the two, the two, the, the title win and title defense is in Darwin. The other one is in, or sorry, Perth, and then the last one's in Darwin. But yeah. Well, Dave, we gotta yeah. wrap this up. We've been at it for. Jesus, almost four o'clock. Yeah, it's nice. not yeah. One thirty, we started, man. There you go, dude. Hopefully to get to know you listen. like this, yeah. I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like you can sit there asking all the fight-related questions. I'm sure we covered it, but oh, they're so boring, though. They're so boring. And your lame. first fight was in a fucking bar on a Saturday night with your mom and dad watching. Yeah, see, see, people do podcasts and they're like, "Hey, like, let's talk about this fight coming up," and you know, "You ready?" Blah blah blah. And then they don't get, they don't figure out that I fought in a bar in Alamosa, Colorado, with my mom and dad watching. That's what Michael's here for. You can do <laughs> yeah. all of the normal stuff. That yeah, you're gonna find yeah, out you can be like, "Man, this is Dave Mazzoli looking tough with his tap-out shirt." <laughs> but man it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. thank you for hanging with me Sundays yeah. with Dave hey it's got a ring to it man maybe we'll maybe make it a thing I gotta move it back move to Cape Town yeah maybe. best of luck yeah. for the rest of the week I will be at Cage Side watching on Saturday so I'll, I'll catch up with you in the week and see how things are and dude bring the ruckus I can't wait Wu-Tang yeah <laughs> shot brother thank you All very right, much yeah simple as that Awesome. Boom. Boom, boom. Were you just randomly recording stuff or what? Yeah, yeah, here and there. Okay, I couldn't cool. do the whole thing. Cause no, of course. I feel like I start like beeping here, <laughs> making noise and stuff with this camera. So yeah, I just snagged this. Uh, oh, dude, you should be helping yourself. Have a protein bar. Ugh. Thanks, man. Oh. Wow, so it's four. Ten to four. Fucking hell. Damn. That's why we're talking about when you're talking shit. <laughs> Thanks, Facebook Live. Yeah, that was pleasant because we had to talk about the fight the whole time. Fuck. Ah. Are you on iTunes on the podcast? Um, I'm. Yeah, I've actually got a. That's tomorrow. I've got to hook that up to iTunes on the podcast. Right? Oh. Yeah. So this is what I've recorded. This has been Facebook Live. YouTube, uh, EFC shared it, so yeah, it's gone out to all their people. That. Um, that I'm going to do a very mild edit of tomorrow. Mild is, and I'm just going to take out the chair noises and stuff like that. <laughs> right. I'm just gonna, like, I don't like working on these kind of things.
Um, right. And then, uh, yeah, so that I'm going to upload onto Podbean, and it will also be uploaded with the link onto Facebook. I'll share that with you. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, iTunes, I'm going to sort that shit out tomorrow, and then we can get that going, and then you'll be able to pick it up. I mean, your iTunes, your iPhone, eh? Yeah. To get the, this is how I edit this, the chair noise. So, just be quiet. Shut the door so it's under the same conditions. The thing is, it's like you can't isolate the noise while you're talking and moving. Yeah. So you have to be quiet. And in a couple of seconds of that, I can identify copy that throughout the whole podcast and delete that whole noise. Interesting. But you have to record the chair noise on its own afterwards. The technology we have now. Ah, Yeah, there we go. So the video is up. 2,959 people saw this post. Yo. And the thing is, what's the time in America at the moment? It's middle of the night. Yeah, I think people are going to be just waking up. 